Hi, I'm Danny Nightmare. I'm Gory B. Movie. And we're Horror Addicts. And we just want to tell our buddies at Grave Plot Podcast, congratulations on your 100th episode. Yeah, that is awesome. A couple years ago, we got to meet you at Crypticon. We've had a chance to follow your podcast and have you on our show a couple times. We even got to see Evil Dead with you. And it's just been great getting to know you guys. So congratulations on your 100th episode. This is a huge accomplishment and we are so happy for you guys. So you guys keep digging up some fresh episodes for us because you know we'll be listening. <laughs> Hi out there in Grave Plot Podcast Land. <laughs> it's your old pal, Rusty Bumbles. <laughs> Coming to you live at the 100th episode. Ooh, you guys have made the big time. <laughs> See you at the circus, suckers. Hello, welcome to the Grave Plot Podcast. I'm your host, Skeletoni. And I am Taylor of Terror. I want to thank you for joining us on our first episode. Uh, we're kind of new to this, so we're just kind of, kind of wing it and see how it goes. I mean, this is our, this is our 10th episode. This is episode X. Right. <laughs> So, I mean, this is kind of a big deal. We made it, where does that put us, like five months, roughly? Yeah. Yeah. October, been November, December, January, February, yeah. Yeah, we've been doing this a while now. So, uh, it's kind of like a little anniversary for us, and uh, decided to celebrate. Happy anniversary, Tony. Happy anniversary, Taylor. Thanks, babe. Hey, guys. This is Skeletoni. And this is Taylor of Terror. And welcome to our first edition of, of Drunken, Drunken Cinema. Cinema. Uh, just to kind of give you just gist of what we're going to be doing here, we're going to watch a movie and we're going to talk about it while we're watching it. So, this is episode one of Octoberama. Uh, if you're assholes and didn't listen to the last episode, you uh, just fuck right off. Yeah. Um, but for those of you who did listen, uh, you know that Octoberama is going to be our uh, celebration of October and Halloween, I guess. Um, we're going to be doing an episode every week in October. Yeah, we're going to have little mini-sodes tucked in between our regular episodes. So all in all, we're going to have five episodes this month. We want to welcome you to episode 50. 50! Uh, it's a bit of a milestone for us. Yeah. This is episode 60. Holy shit. We're at episode 70. That's too many. That's too many episodes. <laughs> episode 80, guys. 80! The big 8-0. Big Ocho. You know, a lot of podcasts don't make it this far. This is episode 90 of the Grave Plot Podcast. I am Skeletoni. I am Taylor of Terror.
Welcome, everybody, to another special episode of the Grave Plot Podcast. For the 100th damn time, I am Skeletoni. I am Taylor of Terror. And here we are, guys, episode 100. Yes. As you can yes. see with yes. this banner. Look at banner, Michael. <laughs> uh, we made it. And before the sticklers come out and be like, oh, well, technically, if you count Octoberamas, you guys have put out 113 episodes. Yeah, we know. But this is this is episode one hundred. Yeah, this is the one. Yeah, this is banner, <laughs> as the banner says. Uh, no, my, my wife lovingly. My wife. That, my wife made that for us. Uh, I went to the party store. I was gonna get one of those. Like to, you were gonna buy a party. I was gonna, I was gonna bring the party. Um, I went to Party City, and you know you can make those banners that that spell things. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like the ones that say like ones that have birthday. like words on them. <laughs> no, they've got like the individual letters that you can assemble to say what you want it to say. Yes, you know what I'm. You know what I'm talking I know about. How banners work. Yes, <laughs> I was gonna get one of those, but I couldn't buy um, individual letters. You have to buy them in like a pack. Oh, that's horseshit. Yeah, I know. And like they had. They had one, one, and one zero. You may notice that I needed another one here. Could have used an O. I could have used an O, possibly, but they had three O's, so I would have used all, all the, the O's. O's. But you could have used one zero and one O. I could have. Put the zero in episodes, so that it wouldn't be, the two O's would be the same size. Uh, See? Problem solver over But here. it was also $10. My wife made this for nothing. With DIY. stuff we with stuff we already had around the house. DIY. Thank you, HGTV. Did you say HDTV? HG. As in G. But did you watch it in HD? <laughs> yeah. So it's HD HGJTV. <laughs> yep. Anyway, guys, um, yeah, this is episode 100. We are very happy to be here. We are very much excited. You are very happy to be here. Um Hopefully. And uh should be a fun show. It better be. But, um, you know, it's a special occasion. And for special occasions, we get special goodies, guys. I was saying earlier before we turn the microphones on that we're going to have some fun surprises. Tony's about to bust out the first one right now. You know, on our 4th of July episode, I brought a very special gift. Um, and we had a lot of fun with it. Unfortunately, they don't make Zima anymore. It was a limited time thing only. But now we have smeared off ice, which I'm told is a very close second, <laughs> if you can even rate it that By way. By whom? <laughs> I mean, I've never had it before. They do taste pretty similar, don't they? Uh, this is a little more citrusy, I think. Oh, well, okay. I could do with a little more flavor. Natural lemon-lime flavor. Because, my God, Zima need, was uh, bad. We need bottle openers. Oh, we don't. It's a twist off. Oh, so it is. Okay. What a twist! Cheers. 100, guy. 100. That is sweet as fuck. Ooh, yeah, it is. I was not expecting it to be that sweet. All okay. right, so yeah, we're, uh, we're going to be drinking Smirnoff Ice. We're going to get a little silly. <laughs> Hopefully. But fuck, it's 100 episodes. How many times do you get to have 100 episodes? One times. But fuck. But, but fuck. <laughs> you said but fuck. I said but fuck. But what, fuck. What are you going to do? 
Hold on. Uh, cool. So, Taylor. Yes, sir. <laughs> it, it was Christmas. It was. It was Christmas. Coming up here on New Year's Eve. Yeah. Uh, tomorrow. It'll be New Year. Oh, wait. Happy New Year! Happy New Year, listeners. <laughs> you know, I, I've developed a giant pet peeve for when people say Happy New Year's. Yeah. I get like they're just like cutting off the eve. Mm-hmm. But then like they'll at midnight they'll be like happy new years i'm like no just the one <laughs> just one year yeah i mean next year it'll be another year yeah but, but then you say it again you don't right. just say happy new years and then stop forever. <laughs> in, in perpetuity just, you know what i said happy new years two years ago <laughs> so we're covered oh yeah kevin's feeling it huge excite well i don't know about huge <laughs> uh yeah so how was your christmas it was good yeah Good. It's good. <laughs> What'd you do? What'd you get into? Uh, you know, drove down to the claw. Then it started snowing. That was fun. Mm. Had to drive home on that. I only had to drive like 10 minutes. Yeah, well, <laughs> aren't you cool? <laughs> they were saying like, oh, you know, it might snow overnight. So I was like, okay, well, it'll, it'll you know, if it snows overnight, that's fine. But then it started snowing at like three o'clock in the afternoon. I'm like, <laughs> what is this shit? <laughs> and of course, all the kids are like, oh my God, it's awesome. And I'm like, fuck this. Yeah. Can you recall the time when you realized how much you hated snow? When I got my driver's license? Yeah. <laughs> when I had to start working full time? Yeah. Uh, and I didn't get days off when it <laughs> snowed. Um, yeah, we had uh, my wife's family over for Christmas Eve. I probably explained this before. They do Christmas on Christmas Eve. Um, and uh, so we had all of them over at our place. First time we've hosted a holiday in, in our home. Um Actually, we, I mean, we had Thanksgiving, but first time we held Christmas, and there's 14 people in here, which is fine when you're having like a party, because everybody's standing up and milling around. Everyone's in the kitchen for some fucking reason. <laughs> Always. Always. Every time. <laughs> um, but when you have to have, find a place for everyone to sit, that's a whole new animal. Um, that's a horse of a different color, one might say. One might. One might say that. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, so accommodating 14 people was rough. I bet. We did it for, we did uh, 11 for Thanksgiving, and that was a challenge. So fitting three extra people in, that was. That's why my grandma started, started renting the uh, the Danish hall down in Edomclaw, because my cousins just keep having babies. <laughs> Wear a rubber, kids. Yeah. Wrap it up. <laughs> Don't be a fool. Wrap your tool. <laughs> PSA by the Grave Plot Podcast. <laughs> um, yeah, and then the next day we had Christmas Christmas with my uh, with my family. Did you get anything cool? Um, I got some cool stuff, yeah. Yeah? Um, let's see. What did I get? Uh, well, let's see. My wife got me a, uh, a router, like a... Um, like a wood router. Oh, I think like an internet router. No, don't you have one already? I would. I would like one of those though, because the one we have is fucking garbage. Um, and uh, then my father-in-law actually got. Well, I guess my my parents-in-law is that a thing? Sure. Your in-laws. My in-laws. Um, they got me a uh, a circular saw. So, so you're gonna fucking build shit. I'm gonna build so much or shit. Build the hell out of something. <laughs> uh, but no, I mean, you've seen our deck. It's 
a piece of shit. So that's going to get rebuilt next summer. Nice. So then we can start burying people under it. Yep. Um, what else? Um, I got some cool Bluetooth headphones. Yeah. Yeah. Neat. How those working out? They're cool. Yeah. They're uh, they're Pixel Buds, and since I have the Pixel phone, they like work together. Mm. I can like just like hold, just like touch it, and then talk to it, and it'll tell me like my notifications and whatnot. Uh, so it's kind of just like it's almost like they're Bluetooth headphones. <laughs> yeah, but then I, I'm saying I can do other stuff. Like I could be like, "What's the score of the Seahawks game?" and it'll tell me. Are they wireless? Yeah. Well, I mean they're they're connected to each other. Mm. But... <clears throat> See, that's something like. Uh, with the uh, the AirPods that Apple has, yeah, that's something that like I'm pretty impressed with because they don't connect through Bluetooth, at least as far as I know. No, I think they have some other proprietary thing. Yeah, so I mean, but they're wireless. They're two separate pieces that connect to the same phone. Yeah, and you can't do that with Bluetooth. So that's why even Bluetooth headphones are are connected by some kind of wire. Oh. I kind of like having the cord between because then it's harder to lose them. But. Yeah, I've got some. Um, it's got like a collar. <laughs> on it and the uh, oh yeah i've seen i've seen those okay yeah anyway um cool anything else um i mean that was that was the big thing mm-hmm. 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 sweet yeah. yeah um so what's uh what are you doing for new year's i don't know yet okay <laughs> Uh, we're just going to my sister's. We were supposed to have a party, but I guess a bunch of people just bailed. So now it's not really so much a party, more like my sister and my brother-in-law and then me and my wife and my parents just hanging out. It's a party. <laughs> yeah. Rager. We're going to bring some smearing off ice, <laughs> get a little, get a little nutty. Right on, man. That sounds pretty sweet. Stick my tongue down my wife's throat at midnight. That's, that's graphic. Cry. Probably, probably not going to happen. She's uh, she's not into that. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> what your girlfriend likes having your tongue down her throat? She doesn't not like it. <laughs> uh. Anyway. So, um, that's enough of that. Yeah, probably. <laughs> What's up, fellas? This is Max Health. Founder of Wrestling with Subtitles and Gaming with Grave Plot. Hey, I just wanted to give you guys a quick shout out for a hundred episodes. I've been here through it all. Through the good times, through the bad times, through the worst times. But thank you so much for allowing me to be a part of the Grave Plot podcast for so long. Here's to a hundred more and a hundred more and a hundred more. Kind of like those awful, awful, awful Jason movies. Bye. Hey guys, it's Carl's from A Lot of Things Podcast, and I wanted to say congratulations on 100 episodes. Uh, it's hard to do that. It's a difficult thing, and people don't realize to do it day in, day out, week in, week out. It's, um, it's, it's tough. So good job. And also, it's so cool to come on your podcast and be there and talk about weird horror TV shows and movies, because I always get amped up about horror. And I'm not even a horror guy, really. But you guys get me pumped up on horror every time I stop by and when I listen. So congrats, and here's to 100 more. But that's a long time. 
So let's be realistic. Okay, bye. Hey, Tony and Taylor. This is Kevin Skoda calling in to congratulate you on episode 100. Uh, congratulations, guys. It's fucking awesome that you made it this far. Um, and I'm hoping for another 100, 200, 300, 400 more episodes. Um, I want to see you guys doing this until, you know, your brain's in a jar in some crypt somewhere. So uh, congratulations again and uh, looking forward to more episodes. You guys rock. We do want to thank some very special people. Um, these people help make this show possible. They've uh, helped us get to 100. A uh, very special round of applause for Skeletoni and Taylor Taylor. They woke up very early and came a very long way. Um, but <laughs> aside from them, the people that actually help fund this fucking carnival uh, are our Patreon patrons. Very special thanks to them. Those people are Kevin Nesgoda, Jordan Morrison, Kevin Trent, Joshua Hodges, Carlos Rodella, The Horror Addicts, and Max Health. Thank you so much, guys. Um, and you know we- what? Since this is episode 100, even though they're not at the level where they get their names in, in the credits, I, I also want to give a shout out to Isaac Thorne, Lance Dale, and Silas Dahl, who are our other Patreon patrons at yes. lower tiers, but we still appreciate them very much. Yeah. I mean, we're, we don't have a huge amount of overhead on the show. We're pretty self-sufficient, but things do come up. I mean, you guys help us pay our our um, hosting costs. Um, you know, if if we need new equipment, that all helps. I mean, you know, you help help us fund our our, um, our contests and just all all the little extras that make this show special. You guys help uh, immensely with that. So thank you so much from the bottoms of our rotten little hearts. And check your mailboxes because we we took your money and reinvested it back into you. Gave you a little something extra for the holidays. A little something, something. Yep. A little uh, around the world. <laughs> Old fashioned. Um, cool. So, Taylor. Yes, sir. You have an announcement? I do. Uh, this, you know, this is the first episode of the new year. Normally, this is where we would do our Grave Plot Awards. But since this is episode 100, we wanted to let this be its own thing. Um, so we're going to push the Grave Plot Awards to next episode. But as of right now, the Grave Plot Award voting is open. We took your nominees, uh, put them on a, on a ballot, and they are there for your voting pleasure. Oh, yeah. Deep, sensual pleasure. Yes. Uh, you know, one of our... Um categories one we've had since the beginning is favorite uh sex or nude scene mm-hmm. how did jennifer lawrence not make it on there for what for a nude scene in what mother she gets naked in that uh, you see you see her boobies i didn't know that yeah i don't know nobody nominated it why didn't you nominate it i, I, I don't know it seems like nepotism to me <laughs> well i mean it's too late now maybe you should have said something earlier idiot well, fuck me, right? Uh, cool. But uh, Mark Duplass's dong made it on. <laughs> I mean, good for him. <laughs> good for Mark. We're so proud of him. <laughs> and his dong. So yeah, head to graveplotpodcast.com. Uh, check out the, find the post with the, the prestigious golden shovel trophies and place your votes. And next episode will be the third annual Graveplot Awards. woo Nito. Nito Bandito. Yeah. So, 
Um, I don't know where to go from here. I'm trying to make this a very special episode. <laughs> As opposed to our other very special episodes. This one's You want to do that now? Uh, we can. You want to? Yeah, now seems like a good time as any. All right. One thing I did get for Christmas was uh, this kickstarted uh, crowdsourced game called Slash Cards. Um, it's basically like Trivial Pursuit, except it's all about horror. So um, that seemed like a fitting thing for this show. And since Taylor is probably the only person I could play this with, um, we're going we're gonna to play a little bit. And I mean, who knows? If this works out, maybe this will become a regular thing on the show. Maybe it will. Um, so. <laughs> Shuffle the cards just a little bit. Should have done this beforehand. I don't think this is absolutely necessary. I don't think I only read like one of them. Fuck them. Fuck, fuck. No, fuck them. They're gone. No, seriously, fuck him. We'll get him later. You're going to spill your smear off. Don't tell me my business, you bitch. <laughs> Don't tell me my business, devil woman. Fuck. <sighs> this is going so well. Okay. Um, so how do we want to... Do we just want a quiz, or do we want yeah. some stipulations yeah, here? You can give me this many, and then you have that many. <laughs> and then uh, how many are we doing? What are we doing? I don't know. What are are there different categories? What's with the different colors? Uh, yeah, there are different categories. There's different styles. Goddamn of gameplay. There are category cards, and like you can, um, you basically one 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 way to play is you draw a category card, and then based on that category, you answer a question off of a question card. If you get it right, you keep the card. If you get it wrong. You have to put the category card back. Okay, let's do that, but we'll just do best of five. Okay, but then there's also a slash card. A slash card means you lose all of your category cards. And okay, you we'll start do, from scratch. Let's not do that, because we don't have all day. <laughs> uh, and then the first to collect all five wins the game. Okay, we're just doing best of five, though. Okay. So we don't really need those in. But we got to figure out what category we're doing. All right. Okay. Is this for me or you? For you. Okay. I got the slash card. God damn it. <laughs> You're fucking bad luck, man. Go again. All right. Another slash card. Are you kidding me? They're probably all together. All right. We'll cut the deck. Was it, Sorry. Was this for me or you? You. Okay. Uh, general knowledge. What color? Uh, it's going to be a reddish pink thing. No, well, it's a, uh, it's a red. There's a red and pink. Yeah, wait. Pink. That looks like pink to you me. I think it's pink? Okay. <sighs> this is so fucking easy. I'm, I think some of them, I think a lot of them might be easy. What comedian and host of AMC's The Talking Dead had a supporting role in House of a Thousand Corpses? That's going to be Mr. Chris Hardwick. Yes. So one nothing. Okay, these these probably should have been shuffled. Yeah, yeah. Cut all this out. <laughs> Can't edit this out. This is live. Sorry, Facebook. Cut this out of the final 
think, though. Cut you out. Cut you out of my life. <laughs> All right, let's try this again. Pink. Wait, characters and actors. I think you asked me the wrong question. Um, okay. Mel Gibson starred as, oh God, Reverend Graham Hess in what 2002 extraterrestrial film? Signs. Correct. One to one. General knowledge. So we determined that's red? Yeah. All right. In what year was The Conjuring released? That's a fine question, Alex. Um, fuck, I don't know. Uh, I mean, I hate that movie, so I don't really pay attention <laughs> to it. Uh, 2010? 2013. Oh, okay. Well, fuck me. Characters and actors. God damn it, Taylor. What is the name of the vampire in Nosferatu? Um, oh my God, not Nosferatu. <laughs> nope, <laughs> that's the movie. Oh my God, Count Orlock. Yes, the full answer would be Count Graf Orlock, but I'll take it. All right, two to one. Behind the scenes, that's blue. What German filmmaker directed The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari? Ooh. <laughs> I don't know. I know I, if you tell me the answer, I'm going to say, oh, yeah, that's right. But I, don't, I can't think of it. Robert, I assume, Vine. It's W-I-E-N-E. Wien? Wine? Probably, but probably pronounced Vine. No, no, I don't know that one. Still 2-1. Characters and actors. Okay, draw a different card. I cut the deck. You fucker. You're going to use up all the cards. I thought we were doing best of five, by the way. We are. It's 2-1. Nobody's gotten three yet, so... Behind the scenes. Ooh. Name the art. This is uh, relevant to the rest of this episode. Uh, name the artist or group that composed the score for The Shining. <laughs> Bear Grylls. Nope. I don't fucking know. That's Stanley Kubrick, Wendy Carlos, and Richard Elkind. Totally. Yeah, bro. General knowledge. Mythbuster Jamie Heineman created the animatronic spider used in the climax of what 1990 film? Um, Arachnophobia? Yes. Behind the scenes. Um, Two to two, by the way. That's blue, right? Yeah. 
Um, who directed Dracula? The nineteen thirty one. Oh fuck! <laughs> I, I don't think I even knew this one. Uh, Boris Karloff. No, <laughs> it's not Boris Karloff. <laughs> who is it? Oh, sorry. <laughs> Todd Browning. No shit. The freaks guy. Yes. I well fuck me. Yes, fuck you. T I L. Category X. The fuck does that mean? Orange, Lello. Lello, or orange, whatever. Name three specific hotels or motels in horror movies. Ooh, okay. Well, I mean, the obvious ones are the Stanley. No, Overlook. I mean, um, uh, Bates Motel. Oh fuck. There's only three listed on here, so maybe that's all there is. I can't think of a third one. The Yankee Peddler Inn from the Innkeepers. Oh, pff. Still 2-2. Two 2-2. To two. Two, two. General knowledge. General knowledge. Okay. In Ghostbusters... Okay. Dana Barrett is a professional musician. What instrument does she play? Cello. Correct. Boom. I am the winner. What? You only have three. Yeah, best of five. Right. <laughs> okay. We've all had a lot of fun. <laughs> so that's Slash Cards. Check it. Or don't. All right. So that was fun. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of fun. Yeah. Hey, this is Chris from Podcast Massacre. Uh, me and the crew just wanted to say congratulations on 100 episodes. That is fucking awesome. Can't wait to hear the rest of them, boys. Keep it up, and we'll see you at CryptoCon. Later. Yeah. I uh, try to return this pocket pussy thing that you guys tried to sell me in the street the other day. Now, nah, what's up, guys? This is Alex from Beyond the Void of Horror Podcast. And I want to give you guys a super big congratulatory effort on making your 100th episode, which I have yet to do, but soon, my friend. Soon. But seriously, guys, congratulations. So glad you guys are still doing it. It ain't easy to be doing 100 episodes, let alone 50. But you did 100, so congrats to you. Many more. See you guys online. What's up, guys? This is Silas Dull. Congratulations on your 100th episode of your show. Um, and uh, looking forward to seeing you both back on set of They Reach. And, uh, yes, this is it's going to be awesome. And uh can't wait for your uh, next episodes. And i got to get my vote in for your uh, everything. And I, I'm really excited to keep... Uh, Hearing uh, what you got. <laughs> uh, so take it easy, Taylor and Tony, and uh, have a great hundredth episode. I guess should we uh, should we just move on with the rest of the show now? Might as well. Might as well. What else are we gonna do? Ladies and gentlemen, I bring you horror business. <laughs> Yeah.
All right, starting out with real world horror. True uh, story. Oh, you fucker. Had to. Had to. 100. 100, bro. 100. <laughs> um, in Wisconsin, you guys may remember three years ago? 2014? Yep. Yep. Um, two girls decided that in order to appease Slenderman, which, little note for you listening at home, is not real, um, decided to appease Slenderman, they needed to kill a classmate of theirs. These were all 12-year-old girls at the time. Um, they were quickly discovered um, because the victim survived. Uh, but recently, one of them, Anissa Wire, Wiener. Uh, it's probably not Wiener, mainly due to the lack of an N. Uh, now 16 years old, uh, pled guilty to, or pleaded, is, is it pled or pleaded? It should be pled, right? I would think. Well, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know language good. Uh, I ain't no lawyer. <laughs> uh, she pleaded guilty to being a party to second degree attempted intentional su- homicide. Now, I don't really know how degrees work, but I thought if it was intentional, that would have made it first degree. I guess that's only if it's pre- Premeditated. Premeditated. I don't know. I don't know the degrees. I've never been able to keep them straight. Yeah. You know, all the people I've killed, I've just never really kept it straight. Um, but, uh, yeah. So, so uh, she went to court uh, in September. She, like I said, pled, pled guilty, um, but she used the insanity cop-out. <laughs> I'm sorry. The insanity plea. Um, and the jury ate it up. And so now, instead of being sentenced to life in prison or the death penalty, she's been given 25 years in a mental facility. Um, Arkham Asylum. Right. Uh, Now, that's the maximum sentence. Um, So, I guess, victory. (laughs) (laughs) Win. (laughs) She, uh, but the sentence is retroactive to the date of the crime. So they did a crime? Yeah. I don't so know. She's why. getting time served plus? I guess. I don't know why. I don't I don't understand it. I don't know why she deserved any leniency whatsoever. Um I mean she wasn't she has been in jail, I think. But it's like fuck that. You should be serving the rest of your life in jail. Yeah. You tried to kill someone intentionally. Um but she will be institutionalized until the age of 37 just when she's old enough to have had a severe mental break, and then she'll be released back into the public. So that's neat. All right. Um, yeah. Then so, she'll turn 40 and be like, what have I even done with my life? <laughs> then she'll get out and she'll be like, I'm 37? Oh, clerks. I, I, you got there. You got it. <laughs> Try not to suck any dicks on your way through the parking lot. <laughs> Uh, but yes, in 2014, Anissa Wire and Morgan Geyser um, drew their classmate Peyton Lutner, uh, or Lettner, I don't know, into a wooded park area um, in a Milwaukee suburb. Uh, they Morgan Geyser stabbed uh, Peyton 19 times while uh, Wire urged her on. Um, yeah, and Peyton survived. 
She dragged herself from the woods onto a bike path where she managed to get the attention of a passing bicyclist who, and you know, which inevitably saved her life. Um, so both, both of the girls told detectives that they felt like they had to kill Peyton to appease Slender Man. So they become one of her, one of their proxies, uh, or servants and protect their families from him. Like I said earlier, all three girls were 12, a year, 12 years old at the time. You know, it make, it really makes you, I mean, we've, we've talked about this a few times on the show, um, you know, it happened in 2014. We first, I remember we reported on it when it first happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, my sentiment hasn't changed. Like, just because she's a child doesn't mean she's not dangerous. Sure. And, you know, using this insanity plea, that's like, in, that's <laughs> not, not to be, not to be a pun, uh, but that's insane. <laughs> like, to claim claim insanity because you are a fucked up kid who um i don't know believes some imaginary char- character is real that's just ridiculous <sighs> i don't know if, i mean if if it was something where she was like getting in a lot of fights or something and beating other kids up i think that might be one thing but if she's like Actively trying to kill someone. Yeah. That takes a, a, a second look, I think. Based on a fictional character. Yeah. Fictional characters. Um, but in a deal with prosecutors, Morgan Geyser, um, who actually committed the stabbings, uh, pled guilty to attempted first degree, first degree intend, intentional homicide um, with the agreement that it, she isn't criminally responsible and shouldn't go to prison. Wait. I'm confused. Yeah, I did it, but I can't be held responsible. Yeah, because of that meant the insanity plea. <sighs> um, prosecutors, or she was, she's, yeah, she'll be sentenced in February. Um, and prosecutors have asked that she's given the maximum sentence, uh, or no, sorry, that's not the maximum. They're asking that she be given at least forty years in a mental hospital. Didn't you say twenty five was the maximum sentence for second degree? Oh, gotcha. Yeah. Um, so, crazy little girls getting off. I mean, yeah. what? <laughs> That's not what I meant. That's <laughs> not what I meant. <laughs> but just, uh, you know, I wouldn't say walking away because living in a mental institution for most of your life is no walk in the park. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll say that much, but I don't know. There's just, I think they deserve prison or or possibly the death death sentence because they are dangerous people. And I don't believe this mentally ill thing one iota. Um, uh, fuck. Some, I, was, I read this in the article that I got this from and I, I didn't take notes on it so I'm going from memory but one of the girl's family says that oh, she's she's grown up mentally um, she knows what she did was wrong. It's like, that doesn't sound like an insanity plea to me. Yeah, really? If she knows what she did was wrong, then it sounds like she is fully competent to stand trial. I agree. So. I, but, I mean, moral of the story here, folks, is uh, don't kill people because of something a voice in your head said. Right. If you're hearing voices in your head, maybe go talk to somebody. 
Anyway. Especially if they're telling you to do things like stab people or burn things. Right. Anyway, that's real world horror. Let's talk about something else. All right, so here's a thing. Uh, there's a new Hellraiser coming out. It's been filmed already. It's called Hellraiser Judgment. Uh, it features Paul T. Taylor taking over the role of Pinhead, uh, taking over the the pins from Doug Bradley. Very controversial. Yes. But he does look the part. He doesn't look bad. He looks better than, than uh, Revelation's chubby Pinhead. Yeah, that guy was... That was, that was real bad. The whole, the whole thing was bad. He kind of looks like Kevin Nesgoda. <laughs> Uh, Paul T. Taylor once posted on his Facebook that the movie would be coming out some time. He gave a date, but I don't remember what it was. On a day. And then he ended up deleting that post and being like, oh, never mind. Now, according to an Amazon listing, Hellraiser Judgment will hit Blu-ray and DVD on February 13th, 2018 and will be released by Lionsgate. Now, this is interesting because every other Hellraiser movie has been put out by Dimension. I mean, maybe Lionsgate's just doing distribution. I don't know. Well, Dimension is owned by Miramax. Right. Miramax could probably be in a place where they would be getting rid of all of their assets (laughs) on account of Harvey Weinstein doing things he shouldn't be doing. Yeah, and apparently, um, oh, who's the other one? The other Weinstein. Uh, Josh. Is it Josh? No. No, no. Bob. It's Bob. 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 What's your last name? Up and down in the water. Um. Yeah, apparently he got uh, accused of something, too. That yeah, doesn't surprise me. Yeah, it wasn't like big blockbuster news like it was with Harvey. Although I don't understand why that was news. I, I mean, I'm... I'm glad it was being exposed, but everybody knew it. Like, now they're just reporting on him. <laughs> we already knew that he was a sexual predator. I mean, I didn't know. Oh. I could have guessed, but I didn't know. Oh, we knew. We all knew. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's interesting that if if this listing is correct, of course, we have to preface it by saying that. Yeah. But that, that Lionsgate would be seemingly taking over the distribution because like one of the reasons this movie was made was so Miramax or Dimension could hold on to the rights. Same reason they made Revelations so quickly right. without Doug Bradley is because they needed to make a movie to keep the rights. Yeah. And it was just duty cocky. It was duty cocky. Then they brought back Doug Bradley and now he's gone again. They didn't bring back Doug Bradley. No, they haven't made one since. Uh-uh. Oh. Revelations was the last one. Oh, I thought there was another one after that. I mean, I mean, we've all heard the story at this point. That Doug Bradley was approached to be in this, um, but he wouldn't agree to what, not talk about the script or something like that. I think that. they wanted him to sign an NDA before they would even send him the script. That's right, yeah. And, and I think he kind of gave them the, the, don't you know who I am? Well, yeah, he's, you know, he, I'm he, Strawberry Alarm Clock. <laughs> what? John Mulaney bit. Oh, Okay. Sorry, I don't frequent the one bar where you drink for free. <laughs> um, 
But he basically said, you know, I've done seven of these films and not once that I have to sign an NDA before they sent me the script. And he said, so he basically just told him to fuck off, kick rocks. I don't know. It seems a little petty to me. I mean, it's petty on both sides. That's true. Um, especially because he has such a long-standing relationship with the people making these movies. Yeah. That they couldn't come to some kind of resolution. The fact that neither, neither side would budge. That's yeah. ridiculous. That is ridiculous. And now we have this. Now which... we have Paul T. Taylor, but who is a, a an accomplished thespian sure. in his own right. So maybe he'll do well. Yeah, I mean... Who's uh, to say? I'm pretty sure Doug Bradley was like a stage-trained actor as well. I believe so. As well. Um, so, I mean, he, he looks the part, like I said. Um, yeah, he looks good in the makeup. Yeah, all the scenes, like, are not scenes, but like... Stills. Stills that we've seen so far um, look good. The only thing I'm iffy about is the story, because I don't know where... Um, I, I don't really understand where the Cenobites and Hell come into it. It sounds like a cop drama. Well, for those of you who don't know the story, Detective Sean and David Carter. Sean Carter? Jay-Z? Hova? Detective Sean and David Carter are on the case to find a gruesome serial killer. (laughs) The word is Jizza, (laughs) J-I-Z-Z-A. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and challenge that one. (laughs) I'm going to consult my diction as a... Detective Sean and David Carter are on the case to find a gruesome serial killer terrorizing the city. Joining forces with Detective Christine Egerton, they dig deeper into a spiraling maze of horror that may not be of this world. Could the judgment awaiting the killer's victims also be waiting for Hova? (laughs) Yeah, so... Yeah, it sounds very, like, grounded. Yeah. I don't know. I mean... You know, all this talk about Doug Bradley and his him not being involved. Uh, was it Deader and Dead World? Dead World. Those were awful. <laughs> Those were so bad. They were pretty bad. Like the like a lot of people um, talk shit about Bloodlines because oh, it's been hit in space. Hit in space. And like, I went on a rant about this. At I a, know. I've heard your rant. Well, I mean, I'm just. For the listeners, I went on a rant about this on a Crypticon panel. People saying, "Oh, it's stupid because it's pinhead in space." It's like, yeah, it's in space, but it's in the future, and there's a reason for it being in space. It's not like, oh, it's not like the Leprechaun where he just he's in space for some reason. There was a purpose behind it. Need another? Need another ice? Yes. Um, and it's like that's only part of the part of the movie. Anyway, anyway, yeah, I don't know. This uh, this might be coming out in February, or it might not. It's only only one thing left to do now. See, see. You better ask my mama how to make a monster. I'm a creature from the black. So, Kevin Smith, you know, the director, former, former director, former filmmaker Kevin Smith. Um, now, okay, let me preface this by saying the dark universe, the universal dark universe 
has gone tits up because Dracula Untold was awful. Eh, no, that's not fair. Dracula Untold was not awful. It was just not. It was just bad. It, it was not good. <laughs> <laughs> the Mummy was awful. Was terrible. Probably. Most. I likely. never saw it, but from everything I've read, seen, and understood, it's awful. Yeah. Based on what I know about the plot and the fact that everybody and their fucking mother that saw it said it was awful, I'm going to make an assumption that it's probably not good. Right. So, um, and the fact that it seem, it has seemingly killed off the entire dark universe. Right. So Universal's kind of sitting on their hands right now. Um, at one point, they offered the um, uh, the remake of the creature from the Black Lagoon. Lagoon, the Lagoon. Okay, Tyler Perry. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> to Guillermo del Toro, um, and he turned him down, or and then went and made his own. Then, then he went and made <laughs> the Shape of Water. Which, yeah, is basically <laughs> the cre- creature from the Black Lagoon. Although it seems a little more heartfelt. Like the story is A little changed. more romance. Yeah. Um, little... But it's got Alabama Senator Doug Jones in it. What? It's got Alabama Senator Doug Jones in it. It does? Oh, I see what he did. I see what he did there. Different name. Same name, different guy. Yeah, different guy. See? <laughs> Fuck Roy Moore, though. Fuck him. <laughs> Fuck him so hard. Fuck him right in his stupid little ass. <laughs> uh, anyway. I like how people are like, he still hasn't conceded. I'm like, he fucking lost. I don't give a shit what he says. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I, let's see. I lost, like when I was in Wee football, I lost, or my team lost every game. We lost every single one in the season. But it's, it's like I'm still saying that we're champions because we didn't accept the losses or something. <laughs> Of course, we did get trophies. Of course you did. Participation trophies. Goddamn pampered millennial. We're all snowflakes. <laughs> <laughs> so dumb. It's funny how even as a, like a an 11-year-old kid, I recognize that participation trophies were stupid. <laughs> Do you ever see that car? Uh, I can't remember what it was. It was it, I mean, it's a car commercial. I don't remember what brand. But the kid, is, kid and his dad are leaving a field. I can't remember if it's football or baseball, but it's the end of the season. And he's like this inner monologue about how badly they lost. Like they just got destroyed. (laughs) He's got this trophy in his hand and a little plaque says participation trophy. And he's just, he's just talking about how garbage, how what garbage they are. And it's just like, you know what? Nope, not today. And he pops off the little plaque (laughs) with the Sharpie writes. Uh, Oh shit. I forgot what he wrote. That's like the fucking punchline. I forgot it. Fuck me. You are a terrible storyteller. I am not good at stories. <laughs> anyway, but here, let's get back on the on the subject here. Um, Your point was we need to give Roy Moore a participation trophy. <laughs> then maybe he'll concede. <laughs> maybe he'll shut the fuck up. Uh, I love how he, he went... To a judge and is like, hey, I don't think this was a valid election. And the judge is like, yes, it was. Go away, <laughs> Go away little man. <laughs> and the fact that he's a judge and another judge told him that. It's like, fuck you. <laughs> you rapist piece of shit. Anyway. Um, so. Now back on topic. 
So the dark universe has gone like bye bye. Uh, rumors are saying that the dark universe production offices are a ghost town with most of the projects being postponed or possibly canceled. Um, despite this, Kevin Smith, without they're talking about just giving the individual movies, they're still talking about remaking all these classic movies. Yeah. It just won't be this grander connected universe, which might be fine. Uh, it might. I mean, that way people will forget about them. (laughs) (laughs) If they're all connected, then people are going to remember them because they're going to remember, Oh, those stupid movies that are all connected to each other. Oh, right. Russell Crowe was in that other thing. (laughs) And I mean, Jason Blum has been talked about as taking over this thing. Oh, fucking shoot me now, man. <laughs> um, but yeah, Kevin Smith uh, on his Fat Man on Batman podcast, he says, I'll do one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if they want me to do Creature from the Black Lagoon, I think that would be a, f- I would do that in a fucking heartbeat. That would be amazing. I don't know what the story would be. Um, it's, it's, it's a, it's a remake. So the, the story's, story's already there. there. You don't have to write anything. Um, said, but I would tell you this much creature from the black lagoon from the guy who made Tusk at the budget of Tusk. Oh, that'd be awful. That'd be so bad. <laughs> like if they had the budget for Tusk back in the forties or fifties, whenever they made the original, then yeah, that would be a fucking amazing film. But today, That'd be garbage. It would be basically a remake, like a, a, a literal remake of the original. Just some shitty, <laughs> some shitty looking creature in like this rubber suit. Anyway, um, he said, uh, I would see that fucking movie. I'll bet you would. You're a fucking stoner. <laughs> um, then again, I saw Tusk too, and I was alone when I saw it. So, I mean, we like Tusk. I mean, we're like two of the three people in the world that liked Tusk, the other one being Kevin Smith. Right. Um, But yeah, this sounds like a terrible idea. And I tell you why this will not happen. The Shape of Water. Right. You can't put out the Creature from the Black Lagoon five years after The Shape of Water. Because like we said, it's The Shape of Water is basically the Creature from the Black Lagoon. Man, Smirnoff's really kicking it. (laughs) Yeah, especially when The Shape of Water was directed by the guy that did the Hellboy movies and Pan's Labyrinth. Yeah. And then you'd make another one from the, the guy, guy who made Mall Rats. Mall Rats. <laughs> and Clerks and Dogma. And Yoga Hosers. Oh, God. I was trying to forget that one. <laughs> so, yeah, this I'm going to go out on a limb and say this won't happen. God, I hope With not. Kevin Smith or with anyone. it's a It would be a bad idea. I mean... If Universal has a, if, if there's a single brain in any head at Universal, they, eh. <laughs> I mean, at this point, yeah. Um, but if there is, I really think that they're going to stay away. Or, or they'll be like, who the fuck is Kevin Smith? <laughs> <laughs> We're not touching anybody from Miramax right now. <laughs> So speaking of shapes, huh? uh, nice segue. Uh, nice segue. <laughs> you uh, like it, don't you, bitch? The original quote-unquote shape 
from 1978's Halloween uh, will be reprising that role for the 2018 40-year anniversary movie that's coming out later this next year. That's all really that you can really call it. It's and not a sequel. I don't. We still don't know what the fuck it is. It's a bastardization, is what it is. Yeah, kind of. Uh, that actor would be Nick Castle, who will be putting on the infamous Michael Myers mask once more. Uh, stunt performer and actor James Jude Courtney has also been cast to play Myers. So I don't know why there's two of them. There was two guys in the original too. That's true, and I don't know why they then. You know why they did it? I don't know. One like one is billed as the shape. Right. That would be Nick Castle. And then there was uh, Tony. Oh, fuck. Todd. Tony Todd. <laughs> I wish. That would have been amazing. <laughs> I don't care if he's wearing a mask. Uh, another guy who was, he was billed as 23-year-old Michael. Right. And I don't really understand. Because you, I mean, you see, you see him without the mask for like half a second. Is it Tony Moran? I don't think so. Yeah. Tony Moran, that's right. Yeah. Okay. Oh wait, that's Michael, age twenty three. Yeah, but he's also shown. I mean, because Michael Myers was twenty three. Yeah. So who's the shape and who's Michael Myers? Yeah, what's I what's don't the difference? Understand. Like I, mean, I said, you see him without the mask for like half a second. This is his IMDb IMDb picture. Okay. So clearly, it's him laying on the ground. Yeah, but dressed as Michael Myers in the jumpsuit and the mask. Yeah. So clearly, they both wore the mask. I don't know. So apparently, they're going to do the same thing in this one with these two guys. One of them being the original Nick Castle, and then this James Jude Courtney is also playing Michael Myers. So two Michaels. Neat. Uh, have you? Did you see that news article on on the genre sites mainly? The guy that owns guy owns the uh, the original Michael Myers mask. Yeah. That's beat to shit, man. Yeah, it was. You know, a lot of... I've, I've heard this before, um, that so many special effects, masks, um, you know, <laughs> costumes, those type of things, especially when they're made of any kind of rubber or foam or whatever, they're not made to last. No. They're made to get through the production. Yeah. And that's it. So it's depressing to see something like... Something, something so iconic, like the original Michael Myers mask. In such disrepair, but it's like it wasn't made to last that long. Yeah, there's not much you can do to yeah. keep it in, you know, in pristine condition. Yeah, I mean, I think the guy said he keeps it. He keeps it in an airtight box, like an airtight glass box, and he he keeps it like in the dark or something, so it's very little light exposure. Yeah, just trying to preserve it as much as possible. But you know, time has taken its toll. <laughs> yeah, and uh, other Halloween eighteen news. Uh, the film's effects will be handled by Christopher Nelson, who was the man behind Suicide Squad, Deadpool, Sin City, and the Kill Bill movies. So it's a pretty good resume. Yeah. Um, I mean, I haven't seen Suicide Squad mainly because it, it looked awful. Um, and I heard that it's awful. Right. But from the commercials, it looks like the effects were amazing. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've heard it looks cool. Yeah. The effects in Deadpool, of course, are awesome. Sin City, both Sin City movies look incredible. Um, and, of course, the Kill Bill movies are awesome. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, that's a good choice. Although, I don't, I feel like 
using him for something like Halloween that doesn't really have a lot of effects and spectacles to look at. Yeah, it's mostly, you know, like knife stabbing and blood work, not a lot of, you know, explosions or anything crazy like that. Right. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, of course, joining Nick Castle from the original is Jamie Lee Curtis, who will be reprising her role as Laurie Strode. Uh, Judy Greer will be playing Karen Strode, who at one time was reported to be her daughter, but I don't know if that's still the case. It would. Oh, wait. Okay. So Judy Greer as Karen Strode and Andy Matichak as her daughter, Allison. So maybe that's Karen's, Karen's daughter, right? Oh, I don't know. It's, it's not. Uh, it's not really clear strict. if that's. But maybe, I don't know. Maybe Karen is. Uh... Her sister, maybe? Maybe, or like niece something could be. Yeah, some relation other than daughter. I mean. If it was her niece, she would have to be Michael's daughter. So that would. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, 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 Cousin. Who knows? Something. Something strode. Something strode. <laughs> Allison strode. <laughs> like Allison rode. Wait, no. I mean, because strode is her. No. Because she's adopted. She's, yeah, she's a... But no, she isn't. Because that's been retconned. Oh, Michael, fucking hell. Michael's not her brother anymore. God damn it. <laughs> so she could be her sister. Who? No, oh, fuck. It, any, anything could happen. Yeah, even the things that happened could have not happened. Yeah. Uh, it's like they just picked a spot in the middle of the original movie and said, okay, we're starting going here. from here. <laughs> Uh, okay, so this is going to be written and directed by a, well, it's going to be written by uh, Danny McBride and David Gordon Green and directed by David Gordon Green and is scheduled to be released October 19th, 2018, even though it has not started filming yet. So. On the <laughs> We're so dumb. Hella dumb. So, um, you guys may have heard recently that Disney has bought about 75% of Fox Studios. Yeah, pretty um, much all their stuff that's not sports. Yeah, sports and I think uh, their news agencies. So, Fox News. <laughs> Disney's like, business. we don't want that. Don't put that evil on me. <laughs> <laughs> Stay far away from that. Um, oh, it's like, I'm pretty sure Disney's run by a Jew now. And, you know, if you get involved with a company or with something that supports a guy that has publicly spoken out against Jews or not, not spoken out against them, just been uh, politically incorrect. <laughs> I could be talking out my ass though. I don't know. I don't know things. Yeah, that's true. You don't know shit. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so Disney owns, um, I mean the X Men universe now. Um, uh, what else? What else? What else? And Predator. Such, and pre, pre, there you go, Predator. Um, and others. Also among them is the Aliens franchise. Yep. Um, now we know that Ridley Scott was working on a follow up or planning to work on a follow up to 
uh, covenant. Um, we reported before that he told uh, Entertainment yeah. Weekly. Yeah, he told Entertainment Weekly that he was uh, still making it, but he wanted to get away from the alien stuff. Yeah, that's dumb. Yeah. So, I mean, he wanted to stop making the thing that made those movies interesting. <laughs> the thing that made the movie Alien. Yeah. You know, the title and all. Yeah. Anyway, um, but contrary to what he's saying, Human Media, a member of the Blu-ray.com forum who claims to have work on, worked on Alien Covenant, uh, said the sequel is originally scheduled to begin pre-production in September of 2017, so three months ago, for right. those of you keeping track at home. Um, but it was shelved after the tepid box office response to Alien Covenant, which is fine. So that would have been before the Disney acquisition. Yeah. Um, I was listening to another podcast who I, I won't name because this is a ridiculous take, but one of the hosts was like, Man, now that Disney owns Fox, we're never going to see another R-rated movie because Disney's never going to put out an R-rated movie ever. That's, like he's like, Deadpool 2, not going to be rated R. It's nonsense. Yeah, it's absolute poppycock. It's not Disney. <laughs> yeah, it's it's still Fox. They're it's, still going to put stuff out as Fox. Yeah, it's Fox, a subsidiary of the Disney company. Right. Like Disney also owns Marvel. Yeah. Who put out Deadpool, which was an R-rated movie. No, no, no. Fox put out Deadpool. Oh. It wasn't under Marvel label? Uh, I mean, they had Marvel as a, a banner. But it wasn't Marvel Studios. It was Marvel Studios. I yeah. gotcha. Okay. Um, but uh, yeah, so this human media character said the sequel to Covenant was originally due to start pre-production this month in Sydney. The tipster explained. Oh, okay, that makes sense from our interview that we'll play later. Right. Um. Said so the after the box office results, after the box office results, filming was canceled, and a warehouse storage unit full of stuff was auctioned off a few months ago. So the original plan of pumping out another quickly—that's where he got it. Did, I thought he said he sold it to them. Maybe he meant they wanted it, they bought it at an auction. Maybe. <laughs> I don't this know. is all very cryptid for people who haven't, <laughs> haven't heard the interview yet. <laughs> We're talking this, about stuff in the future. This will make sense later. Maybe, if you pay attention. Um, where did I leave off? Uh, so the original plan of pumping out another another quickly has definitely... This is a bad sentence. So the original plan of pumping out another quickly has definitely changed with no immediate plans for anything. So I'm kind of okay with it. Oh, I'm totally fine. If it was Neil Blomkamp making Alien 5, it'd be a little more upset. I kind of wonder if Disney's going to go that route. I, I, Look at what they did with Star Wars. I ain't mad at it. Uh, I mean, yeah, Star Wars. You know, I was at, I was at the comic book shop uh, last night, actually. And uh, naturally, <laughs> the topic of Star Wars came up because comic nerds. Um, and uh, I, haven't, I haven't seen The Force Awakens. I have not seen The Last Jedi. Um, I know the basic premise, but um, they made a very good point, something I didn't really take into consideration. And a lot of people were bitching about The Force Awakens being so similar to the original um, trilogy, you know, be, almost being a, a, a point for point remit or rehash, 
or the same story. But the Disney, Disney had just bought Lucasfilm. And it's like, in order to draw in a crowd, they needed to make a movie that was familiar. They couldn't venture out and make a, a new film with this brand new original story. Nobody would watch it. Because then people would say, oh, Disney fucked it up. Case in point, The Last Jedi. Well, yeah. But, I mean, in that case, I honestly think that Disney was fucked no matter what they did. Of course they were. People are going to bitch about everything and anything. Yeah. But, I mean, I feel like just as many people say they liked The Last Jedi as people that said they didn't. Oh, probably. I think the people that... The people that didn't are just louder. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, um... But yeah, I mean, if they want to pursue Neil Blomkamp's Alien 5, then more power to him. But sure. if they're going to put the kibosh on Ridley Scott fucking up his legacy, then again, more power to them. <laughs> yeah, I'm okay with that. Yeah. Anyway. So uh, no Alien Awakening was not the title? Was it? I don't know. I mean, was it going to have Alien in it? I think so. So dumb. Because he put out Prometheus and people were, this is dumb, this is an alien movie. Prometheus. So he, because remember, Alien Covenant was originally going to be called Paradise Lost. That's true. Found it. <laughs> oh, man. So I, I get Dark Delicacy's um, uh, newsletter. Yeah. This month, or next month, I should say. Uh, fucking. Uh, uh, I Nathan, can only Nathan Basil? Nathan Basil and uh, the director and Scott the girl. Glosserman. Thank you. And um, the girl that played. Uh, Taylor. Taylor. I don't, that, look, you lost me there. Yeah. They're, they're Two gonna, out of three. They're going to be signing uh, the comic book. Oh, cool. It's like, fuck. Why don't I live in LA? <laughs> uh, yeah. I just recently realized that Scott Glosserman is like the lead investor in Gather, which makes a lot of sense. Gather. Where we were supposed to hold our behind the mask screening. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. That's such a bummer. You know, I, I don't. Did we talk about it on the show? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a shame because it's such a good movie, but I feel like it's really... Even, I'd love to see it on the big screen, too. Yeah. And, but, I mean, even 10 years after its release, it's still just not really getting the recognition that it really deserves. Yeah, it's got a bit of a cult following, but that's, yeah. that's about it. Because I know we, in another podcast that we know, both tried to set up screenings in our respective cities and just got... Both very, failed. Yeah, got no response. It's just... It's a bummer. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway. So, no more alien. Fine by me. So, Mike Flanagan, who is a director that we here on the show appreciate... We were two of the few fans of Oculus, <laughs> um, but two of many fans of Hush. Uh, I have still not seen Gerald's Game. It's on Netflix, bro. I know, man. It's just right there. It's right there. I know. <laughs> but me and my girlfriend always watch stuff together, and she doesn't like things. You hit her. <laughs> <laughs> All right. No, I don't hit her. Uh, so Mike Flanagan... He wants to make more Stephen King adaptations now. Uh, he was speaking with the website Lilja's Library, which is a Stephen King fan site, and he said, oh, there's so many. Yeah, <laughs> yeah there are. I mean, Stephen King writes a new book like every other month. Yeah. 
There's there are a lot of books. Yeah. Uh, he says, but the ones I'd want to do the most are Doctor Sleep and Lizzie's story. Oh my god, please do Doctor Sleep. That would be fucking awesome. <laughs> oh man, I would do backflips if he did Doctor Sleep. Uh, for people who don't know, Doctor Sleep is the sequel to The Shining. Yeah. Oh, it's incredible. one of the movies we'll be talking about later. Yes. Um, yeah, God, guys, if you've read The Shining or even seen the movie, um, read Doctor Sleep. Oh my god, it's so good. Like, you wouldn't think a sequel to one of the greatest books ever written would be good, but it's really fucking good. Uh, Flanagan goes on to say, in both cases, it's because I identify with the protagonist so much. Lizzie's story is a stunning piece of work, a beautiful exploration of marriage. And who wouldn't want to venture back into the world of Danny Torrance? Talking about Dr. Sleep there at the end. Right. Uh, as far as, do you know Lizzie's story? Are you familiar with that I'm one? Not, I don't know that one. Hmm. I've never even heard of it, let alone read it. It's a floated under the radar. Which is curious because another person who would be interested in in a film adaptation of Lizzie's story is one Mr. Stephen King. Mm. He said, Lizzie's story is my favorite of the books and I would love to see that done, especially now that there's kind of openness on the streaming services on TV and even the cable networks. There's more freedom to do stuff now and when you do a movie from a book, there's this thing that I call the sitting on the suitcase syndrome. That is where you try to pack in all the clothes at once and the suitcase won't close so you just sit on it until it latches. And sometimes when it comes down on the baggage carousel, it busts open and your dirty laundry is everywhere. <laughs> Man has a way with words. He, he certainly does. <laughs> uh, so it's tough to take a book that is fully textured and has all the wheels turning and do it in two hours and ten minutes. It's an oddly specific time. <laughs> that's, that's a long movie. But as a TV show, you have ten hours. There's always the possibility of doing something like The Handmaid's Tale, which is extraordinary. Shout out to The Handmaid's Tale. What up? <laughs> Um, I mean, Dr. Sleep, you know, I'll get into this later, uh, uh, you know, referring to The Shining, um, but Dr. Sleep, uh, it might be hard to do as a movie. As much as I'd love to see it, it might be hard just because there's so much going on. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I think that's the case for most of Stephen King's books. Sure. That's, I think that's why his short stories seem to fit into a film uh style better um whereas his full length novels tend to feel a little condensed and a little uh, compressed yeah a little rushed yeah um but i mean that's not so what i'm saying is i think doctor sleep would be probably better served as a mini series or like a netflix special series sure um just a multi episode thing yeah um no that's not always the case, eleven twenty two sixty three was shit. <laughs> I mean, I think a lot of that started with casting James Franco in a role that he was just not right for. Um, but there's there's so much detail in that book, and so like I'm, I'm on to eleven twenty two sixty three now. So much going on, um, so many references to historical events. That it's like, that may have been impossible to do justice. Yeah. But um, Dr. Sleep is so good. Like I, <laughs> I can't even put into words how much I like that book. Um, and I, w- I would love to see it done well. So hopefully that comes to fruition. Yeah. yeah. Dr. Sleep, actually, just a little trivia. Um, 
Stephen King, he put on his website that two books that he'd been dancing around was um, another book about the midworld, not necessarily about Roland uh, Deschain, but just in that world. So basically kind of like a side story to the Green Tower series um, or Dark Tower. <laughs> um, I was like the Green Tower. <laughs> I combined Dark Tower and Green Mile. <laughs> um but uh, yeah, uh, basically a, a side story to the Dark Tower series um, or a sequel to The Shining. And it came down to less than 100 votes difference. Like he put it on his website, said, vote for the one you want. Whichever one wins, that's what I'll write. Hmm. And like, I think less than 100 votes was the difference between the two and Dr. Sleep won out. So, wow. Yeah. Anyway. Cool. All right, well, that's going to do it for horror business. Hey, that's 100, 100 horror businesses. Yep. Even when we still were just calling it the news. Man, listening back to those old episodes was rough. Yeah, it was. I was listening to another podcast that was talking about Santa's sleigh. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I'm going to go back and listen to our review of Santa's sleigh, which was episode six. <laughs> and I turned on, I was like, oh my God. Yeah. Like immediately, I was like, this sounds terrible. Yeah, the sound is awful. And we just still not quite hit that groove yet. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I was going to try and put together a best of for this episode, and it just was too much work. It just wasn't enough good stuff. <laughs> yeah, pretty much a lot of our good stuff started at like episode 70. <laughs> <laughs> I think it took us that long to actually get good. <laughs> Sounds about right, yeah. <laughs> Hey guys, it's Eric England. I just wanted to wish you, uh, you know, congratulations on such a, a cool achievement on episode 100 and uh, keep up the good work. To our dear amigos at Grave Plot Podcast. It is I, Gigi Saul Guerrero from Luchagor Productions, and I want to congratulate you guys on your 100th episode. Although you guys are probably the most awkward reviewers I've ever met, you have incredible incredible reviews that just make people laugh and smile. Filmmakers like myself extremely appreciate that you take the time to watch our stories and break them down. I was very excited to hear uh, when you guys broke down El Gigante, and I'm just so excited to show you guys more from Luchador, and please never stop recording your audios. You guys are incredible people, and I look forward to seeing you again. Kill it! All right, so before we get into our reviews, uh, we got a chance to talk to writer and director of a movie we reviewed last episode, Better Watch Out, uh, Mr. Chris Peckover. Yeah, Uh, it was a lot of fun talking to him, so why don't you lend an ear and give a listen? Oh, you better watch out, you better not cry, better not pout. Welcome, everybody, to another very special Grave Plot Podcast interview here on our 100th episode. Um, Today, we have a very special guest. We wish we could have got him on the last episode, but we're we're still really happy to have him here today. Uh, We're talking to Chris Peckover, the director and writer of um, Better Watch Out, which we just reviewed last episode. Hey, Chris, how you doing? Oh, shit, you guys reviewed it? Yeah, yeah, we did. <laughs> yeah, we hated it. By the way, I, I, I'm already we, swearing. Sorry about that. No, it's fine. We swear like sailors. Fuck shit ass. 
There we go. <laughs> we got the big ones out of the way. <laughs> but yeah, we reviewed it last episode, and we both really liked it. Um, so uh, good job. <laughs> that That's awesome going into talking with you guys then. <laughs> <laughs> okay, the interview can continue. I, I, yeah, I, I have yet to do an interview where they're like, we, we rated it horribly, but we'd love to talk to you and, and pick your brain about how... How you can possibly make a movie this terrible? <laughs> you know, you know. Truth be told, it's like a lot of times we've gone into interviews completely blind because we'd be reviewing the director, writer, whomever's movie, either that episode or you know the episode after, um, and we wouldn't have would have not watched it yet. And so we're inter- interviewing this person, not knowing if we'll actually even like their movie or not. Oh man! Um, but uh, no, it's like. With yours, actually, I watched it like uh, I think this, as soon as I could. Like it, it dropped on Shutter on what day was it? The nineteenth? Is that what it was? I want to say it dropped on Shutter. Shoot, it came out on DVD on the fifth. I want to say it was like a week later, but I, okay. I might be wrong. Okay, I, I can't remember the specific date, but I watched it that day, so I made sure I had plenty of time. Or <laughs> I thought maybe I'd have plenty of time to watch it assess it and then say okay now we can pursue chris because i know that i like the movie <laughs> um but uh yeah it was really well done and uh, i think we, we both really enjoyed it um so uh anyway um so why don't we just go ahead and jump into things and start at the beginning and maybe maybe tell us a little bit about yourself and your yeah. uh, your career and oh as in okay th- sorry that's the question um <laughs> Oh man, I mean, uh, tell me about myself. I don't even know where to begin. Where'd um, you grow up? There we go. Okay, <laughs> fine, fine, fine. Well, I, I can't tell if this is going to be the interesting part or not. Um, I'm I'm a mutt. I'm like half Canadian. I was born in Montreal. Oh, okay. My my mom's Australian, and that's actually the secret connection to how we shot the movie in Australia. Oh. Um, which, by the way. Hopefully you don't know that when, when you're watching the movie, but yeah, we shot it on a stage in Sydney. Okay. And uh, the whole the whole interesting thing about shooting in Australia is if you're an Australian citizen and the movie is populated with like mostly Australian cast and crew, um, you get this huge huge discount from the government. So we got like. 40 cents back for every dollar we spent there. Wow. So it allowed us to have like a pretty great budget for the movie. Um, you know, still low budget, but, but, uh, definitely better than what we would have been able to pull off in the U S. Yeah. I mean, we, I think uh, one of us commented, I can't remember who, but as we were watching them or as we were talking about it, we said that we couldn't believe the production value in this, like, cause we, we had to figure it was a low budget movie, but it was so well put together. Um, from, you know, from the acting itself into like the way it was shot and the way it was, uh, uh, edited and and all that, it looked really well done. You know, something I would have expected from a much higher budget movie. I really lucked out. Um, so my, my American producers and I met this guy named, uh, Brett Thornquest and, uh, we actually met him through a mutual friend of ours, um, Shane Abess, who actually directed a movie called Osiris Child. This past year, it's like a sci-fi movie, and uh, I've I've known Shane forever. In fact, we we share the same composer. He's an Aussie, and he he moved back to Australia uh, after being frustrated with like the Hollywood system. So, 
when I told him about Better Watch Out, he was like, dude, I know an investor who is making two movies a year. You have to, you have to meet him. And that was Brett. And, um, Brett not only like had the financing to get our movie made, but also had all these connections to these really amazing, talented crew members. So for instance, my, my production designer is a guy named Richard Hobbs, who was the supervising art director on Mad Max Fury Road. Okay. And, um, he, he couldn't, he couldn't even make our, our rap party at the end of our, our shooting because he had to go do Thor Ragnarok next. <laughs> oh. Um, oh, shucks. What a, what a shame. <laughs> right. So like as, as again, supervising art director. So he's like the, the, the second in command on these $200 million movies. And he was like, yeah, I've, I, I've always been interested in production designing. Um, you know, I don't have time for it because I get paid so much money to do what I do, but like, screw it. So he ended up, being production designer and art director on our movie, he kind of wore two hats and he built this insanely cool set where like it looked, even when you're inside of it, it felt like you were inside of a house. Um, yeah. I, I would not have guessed that that like, especially uh, the outside, I would not have guessed that was a soundstage. The outside was not a soundstage. The, oh. the outside was, a. In fact, <laughs> well, we, found a, we found a real location that we wanted to shoot the outside at. And then Richard basically retroactively designed the interior of the house to match exactly what the outside looked like. Got it. So like the walls, here's the windows and so on. And he just matched everything perfectly. He's, he's so talented. Yeah. Even like we were shooting in the middle of the summer. And so he was like, I know it's going to be balls hot. We're going to need to have AC. What if I uh, connect the AC unit to the vents that I'm going to build in the walls of the house? Oh, wow. So, <laughs> so, so he, so he, he built a installed house. HVAC. Yeah. He just actually installed a house. <laughs> um, and, and it was, it was people like him who were really able to take our low budget and like, um, uh, his co- construction coordinator, his name's John Jenkinson. He had just come off of, um, uh, oh, Hacksaw Ridge, Mel Gibson's movie. Oh, wow. Okay. And he was able to get Hacksaw Ridge to donate us like a ton of lumber. So, and then we we sold a bunch of stuff to Alien Covenant, who started shooting right after we did. So like, wow. it was really funny. We were able to save a lot of money because all these giant guys were working on the film, and they were able to kind of like pull in favors and kind of negotiate with other productions, things that you'd never be able to do if you're just off shooting on your own in, in Kentucky or something. That's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now the men- movies you're mentioning, you know, Hacksaw Ridge and Alien Covenant, those are obviously, well, Covenant came out earlier this year. Um, Hacksaw Ridge, was it this year or last year? I can't remember. Um, but, you know, obviously you're saying you filmed after, before them. So you we, cl- clearly you filmed quite a while ago and, and we're yeah, just now so seeing we, it. We filmed in January and February of 2016. So about oh. two years ago. Okay. Um, we had a very fast post-production schedule. So we finished shooting end of February and the movie was done and locked by June 30th. Um, we got into some festivals, um, in September and October and November. And by the time we were talking about, uh, you know, like distribution, like the window for being able to 
to come out in by Christmas had kind of come and gone. Mm -hmm. Because if you want a movie to come out in the fall, you need to take that slot by like May. Yeah, yeah. Just because they're all taken. So we were like, well, fuck, it's a Christmas movie. We're going to have to wait a year. So the reason you're only seeing it now is we wanted to time it with the holidays, um, but it came out a little too late to time it with last year's holidays. So. Got it. Yeah. You know, obviously, the movie takes place around Christmas, um, and but I mean, this kind of maybe just my personal opinion, but I feel like with the general, with the uh, the main story, you know, involving the the main characters. Um, you probably could have placed it anywhere in the year. Uh, why'd, why'd you pick Christmas? You know, I, my favorite Christmas movies aren't like about Christmas. Mm. Um, they're the ones that take the setting. Like, like Gremlins didn't have to be Christmas. It just takes place during Christmas. That's true. I guess it's it's a gift, but it could have been a birthday gift or a or a anything. Mm-hmm. Um. Same with like uh, I don't know, like Edward Scissorhands is a big one for me. Now that takes place over lots of times, but it kind of becomes a Christmas story. Um, you could say he's you know like messing with ice, and that's Christmassy, I guess, but not really. <laughs> um, Christmas, Chris, the best Christmas movies to me aren't about the holiday. It's about the juxtaposition with what that holiday is supposed to be about. I got you. So, like, my fate, you know, like, the reason why everyone fucking loves Christmas horror movies is Christmas is the time of the year when we're all supposed to be on our best behavior, and we're all really happy, and we're with our families, we're decorating together, we're giving presents, and, like, (laughs) and everyone, everyone's, you know, like, it's always the time when people commit suicide the most and, like, get depressed most, and it's because (laughs) it's supposed to be this idealized time, so if things aren't perfect for you, you feel like a failure, um, it's also a wonderful time to, to juxtapose, juxtapose those, like bad things happening. Cause it's such a great backdrop where everything's supposed to be awesome. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I get you. Yeah. I, I mean, just reminded me of Phoebe Cates's entire speech in gremlins. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. I love that. The, the poor, poor father. Right. <laughs> Um, I was expecting you to say Home Alone in that list because there's clearly a, a very strong influence in your movie. They even mention it by name. And I've seen a lot of reviews and stuff call it the Home Alone of horror. Is that something you, you set out to be or is that just something that just kind of happened naturally? Um, I Home Alone was a giant influence on the movie. Um, I had no idea whether, you know, like it's, I, I guess we kind of have we put a lot of parallels in there. There's spiders. Uh, there's obviously a, a really cool death scene that involves a home alone moment. Um, that was great. It's, it's, it's about dealing with home invaders. So yeah, I, you know, it's funny. I, I, we didn't start with the idea of making it. Oh, what if this was like an R rated home alone? Um, but when we saw the parallels, we, we started kind of thinking like, is it okay to push this meta comparison and like actually talk about home alone in the movie? And I'm someone who likes to break rules. So the idea of talking about a movie and actually referencing it outright in your own world, um, does that take you out of the movie? I, I think my, my theory was no, 
So I, I, but I had no idea it would, it would go well or not. So I'm glad it has. <laughs> yeah. It'll fit really well. It's like, I mean, I don't think it really stood out as being like, uh, you know, something corny or out of place. I think it all f- that fit really well is just kind of created a, a cycle within the movie, I guess. Yeah. Or maybe cycles in the right word. I don't know. I, I, I like when movies and TV shows reference other movies and TV shows because it almost makes it feel more real. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like you and I talk about movies, so why wouldn't a character in a movie talk about movies? Exactly. Yeah. That's pretty much mine and Taylor's life. It's not like you're trying to make a shared universe with Home Alone. (laughs) You know, part of me uh, wanted to say, uh, you know, uh, I'm sorry the McAllisters weren't, uh, our our next door neighbors weren't home tonight. Oh, man. That would have been great. Like, (laughs) you you, you would have had to take take out the Home Alone reference, I think, but that would have been really good. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay. So you, sh- you shot in Australia, you know, actually was it last year or year before that we talked to, uh, Craig Anderson. He's the director of Red Christmas. I don't know if you're familiar with it. I not only know the movie, I've met Craig. Oh, okay. Um, perfect. Because have you heard of this documentary about the making of that film? I've heard of it. I haven't seen it. Yeah. It's called like horror movie, a Christmas nightmare or something. And it's, it's like the absolute craziness that craig had to go through to make the film the the, the documentary is like like as good as his film it's in fact it's it's fantastic the reason i know him is my editor cut the documentary oh Um, (laughs) small world so she she brought craig to like test screenings of better watch out and he he gave his thoughts and so on it was really funny awesome yeah so i mean last year we we reviewed his was it last year I believe so. Okay. Last year we reviewed Red Christmas for our Christmas episode and we actually spoke to Chris, or sorry, Craig. Um, and, um, yeah, he, he basically let us into how, how nuts his production was. But, <clears throat> um, you know, you set your movie in what you consider like a typical, uh, I guess, North American, maybe mainly American, or, uh, USA or, or Canada type Christmas. Um, whereas Craig, you know, set his in a typical Australian Christmas, um, you know, in the middle of summer, <laughs> uh, did you just want to kind of capture that picturesque snow look or, I mean, is that, is that well, just how you saw Christmas, I guess? So I'm, I'm not, so I, I, this is, I've never lived in Australia before. I'm not culturally Australian, just more like by birth. Okay. Now I'd love to change that. I'd love to move to Australia. I <laughs> love it there but um the reason the the movie was written to take place in the u.s okay and i think it was important that it took place in the u.s because um not to not to get into like the themes of the movie but you know a a, a lot of reviewers have been picking up on the fact that like the movie's really talking about kind of like um how when we're growing up, we're taught to expect certain things out of women, mm-hmm. kind of like that toxic masculinity thing, right. and that feels like a very American issue. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, guys leading our country, right? Exactly. So, it, having it take place in Australia felt like the bite wouldn't be there because it's you know like the movie is on the surface a very hopefully a very fun roller coaster, scary, funny dramatic ride but like i i I always like it i i I like my my movies to have like you know like 
So get out or something. You, mm-hmm. The best, the, the best horror movies have something to say. Yeah. Beneath, beneath it all. And, um, so that, that was important to this. Uh, Zach, your co-writer, is he an American? Yes, he is. Okay. Um, so, I mean, almost your entire cast is Australian. Did, did that just happen based on when you were, where you filmed or did you just see? It, it's part of the requirements of, of the 40 cents back thing. Oh, okay. So it just so happened. So we were covering our butt, you know, like Australia's got, I forget how many, like 22 million people. Mm-hmm. So I was worried because like, better watch out. We, we somewhat naively, maybe you might even say stupidly wrote these roles that are really hard for for youngins to pull off. Um, we probably read about 200 kids uh, between the U.S. and Australia. And I'm going to say most of the kids we read were in the U.S. Because mm-hmm. we were afraid, you know, like, Australia's not that big. You know, what if we don't find someone who can do the role? Let's just cover our ass and, and read people in the U.S. too. It just so happened that not only was Levi Australian, he also knocked the shit out of every other, you know, first new red <laughs> for the role. He was just, um, he was incredible. He, we, we got, I remember getting goosebumps watching him. <laughs> um, yeah, he, Levi and, uh, and Olivia together, they both, they played off each other really well, I thought. And Olivia was better than anyone who I spoke to in the U.S. So it was, it's weird. I don't know what they're putting in the water over there. <laughs> But like per capita, the the strength of of actors coming out of Australia is nuts. Well, yeah, I mean, you, you look at just uh, you know major motion pictures or even TV nowadays. Uh, American actors seem to be dwindling out. And, you know, I don't know if it's if it's a budgetary thing. You know, as far as paychecks go, but it seems like a lot of uh, production companies are favoring you know uh people from the uk or from australia i don't think it's actors it's definitely not budgetary it's it's how they're trained Mm -hmm. you know like you you can't we've got we've got two 13 actually uh ed was 14 so levi was 13 ed was 14 olivia was uh almost 18 when we started shooting you can't tell that they're australian um Levi had just been in Pan where he had to do a British accent. Um, Olivia shot this giant pilot called Will, uh, that was Shakespearean times. So she had to do British accent. They, they are so well trained. Um, yeah. I mean, if, if I, if I weren't American, I mean, if I were hell, even Canadian, I think I would probably wouldn't have picked up on just the tiny little cracks in their, American accents, like they were that good, like but yeah. even as an American, like it was almost undetectable. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and and like a lot of people ask me, like, why did did you purposefully go with uh, Olivia and Ed because they were both in the visit? And I always counter with that, and I'm like, I think the weirder thing is, why did M Night go with two Australian <laughs> uh, kids to play brother and sister from Philadelphia? Oh. <laughs> um, because, yeah. So, how did you wind up with uh, Patrick Warburton and Virginia Madsen? So oh, that's that's a funny story. So Patrick came first, and um, he he read the script. He definitely wanted to be a part of the film. He I, I can sense he's someone who likes to 
bring himself to his roles in some way. And so he said, listen, I really like this. I want to add something to my introduction scene because it was just supposed to be um, the very first scene where we introduce him. It was supposed to be uh, Deandre coming down the stairs saying, turn that shit off. It's giving me a migraine. And he opens the door and uh, the babysitter's there. And he said, I have this. How do I put this? I have a bunch of Christmas ornaments I'd like you to see. And I was like, sure. So when when he came up to Australia, he had this big oak box of gay Christmas ornaments. <laughs> <laughs> and like he had like uh, Scarlet O'Hara and uh, the Wicked Witch of the West and Judy Garland and and Marilyn Monroe <laughs> and all these like gay icons and you know like the the ruby red slippers which you actually see in the movie. And these actually belong to him? These are his. <laughs> and he thinks it's so funny that he has these. And friends have started getting a more gay Christmas icon. <laughs> He's probably got 20 of them. And he was like, is it okay if we put this in the movie? Like how I, I really want my gay Christmas ornaments up. And my wife's like, what the fuck are you doing? No, they're not going on the Christmas tree. And we kind of argue about this. And when Virginia heard this, she was like, of course we're doing this scene. <laughs> so that whole scene is ad-libbed um, by them kind of on the spot. And that's awesome. The reason, so once Patrick was in, um, Virginia came very quickly because they'd never gotten to act together before. <coughs> time together. And I think they're both big fans of each other, and you can probably see why. <laughs> <laughs> Their chemistry was hilarious. I, I, loved, I loved kind of what they, what they did. You know, Virginia's uh, character just cracked me up because I, I actually said on the on the show when we were reviewing it that she reminded me of my sister, just a very cruel or crude, foul mouthed woman. But, yes, like n- to look at her, you wouldn't guess that. <laughs> and and you'd expect that Patrick then would have kind of played the sad sack, you know, <laughs> like like kind of um, neutered father that would go with such a helicopter mom. Mm-hmm. But Patrick kind of played it the opposite where you can kind of see he's egging her on. It's like, he knows <laughs> we're, we both know that you wear the pants in this relationship, but I'm going to have fun with that. And it just cracked me up. He, he made it such a great, you know, a, a lot of people complain that they're not in the movie enough. And that's always a good sign that you did an amazing job. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and created such a, a 3d life that people want to see more of it. That's great. I think that actually was one of your complaints, wasn't it, Tony? Well, I'm sorry that you wanted more of them in the movie. Oh yeah. I, I always want more Patrick Warburton, especially like <laughs> right. I love that guy. Like, when, I, whenever fan whenever people back. complain, I wish there had been more of blank in your movie. I always just say, that means we did a good job with it. <laughs> yeah. so, so we tried to kind of dance around it tried not to delve too deeply into the big twist that's God, would you even call it halfway through the movie? Maybe a little, maybe even it's a little th- sooner than 33 that. 33 minutes in. Okay. Yeah. And so it was, it was, it was difficult to talk about your movie without just blowing apart everything. But, um, how early on in, in the writing did, were you expecting that? Or I mean, like it was that always the, the point to get to that or, did you just kind of come along, come to that naturally? 
that was the inception of the movie. Okay. It was that twist that started everything. Got it. Yeah. Uh, uh, and I have to credit that with Zach. Zach came up with that twist. And it's a million dollar twist. It's, uh, it's something I'd never seen before. And cause we didn't write it together. He, he originally wrote it. And then I came in and kind of brought, brought some extra flavors to it. Got it. Um, but man, what a, what a cool, um, idea that I'd never seen before. So, yeah, I mean, I'm usually pretty, you know, adept at picking up plot points. Um, but honestly, I didn't see that coming. Taylor, Taylor said he did, but, uh, <laughs> I had seen like some, uh, some photos and stuff that kind of, kind of gave it away. So I, I kind of uh, had an, an inkling. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's, it's, it's weird. Sorry, sorry to frustrate your viewers, but literally like the less, you know, about the movie, the, the more fun it is. So it's almost like you should pause, go watch the movie and then hear us talk. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah. I mean, like going into it, you know, you read like synop synopses. Is that, I think that's right. Okay. <laughs> um, you know, it, it basically says, uh, a kid and his babysitter try to defend their home from, from invaders. And it's like that, that doesn't let on to the rest of the movie at all. So, so I went into it pretty blind, I guess. And yeah, I was, I was pleasantly surprised by the, by the, the twist. (laughs) Woohoo. Yeah. Because in a way it's almost like that's the, like the, the, the premise of the movie is the boring part. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's everything that comes afterward. That's fun. So whose idea (laughs) was it to change the title from safe neighborhood? That's a great question. So we had finished the film. Um, in fact, I don't know if you remember this, but uh, when it premiered all last fall, um, it was playing under the name Safe Neighborhood. Um, we had a screening at an agency in Hollywood uh, for like the agents of all the actors to watch it. Mm-hmm. And there was a guy that was sitting in there and... Um, he was not part of the agency. He's not part of anyone. He'd just gotten wind of the screening and he kind of puts his arm around me afterwards. He's like, we need to go have a beer. Um, I am in marketing and, um, I would like to pitch to you why I should be in charge of your marketing. Cause I loved your movie. And I think I have a really special idea for the, for the marketing. And, to his credit, his name is Josh Olson. He works at a company called The Refinery. Josh won a bunch of awards last year for doing um, Don't Breathe. Oh, okay. And in fact, he changed the title for that too. Don't Breathe used to be called uh, A Man in the Dark. That's right. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So he's, Josh is kind of like this, this whiz kid. He's, he's like my age and like doing, doing okay financially. Um, <laughs> Uh, but he's like this whiz kid at, and, and when we had our beer, he sat, we sat for three hours and he just took me through, here's phase one, here's phase two, here's phase three, here's the poster, here's the title. He knew it all. He knew it all like that night. It was crazy. Um, so to his credit, we stuck exactly to what his plan was. And it all worked really well. I think, uh, I mean, the, the marketing, I mean, it, to say it sold the movie, I mean that's its job, but I think it it, it did it in spades. I mean, the- I mean his his overall argument was he was like, listen, Safe Neighborhood is a great title for a home invasion movie. I get why you did that. Mm-hmm. Actually, he didn't say great. He said it's a fine title. Um, 
he said, but you have a Christmas movie. You have a great, you have a great Christmas movie. You're insane not to play off of the Christmasness of it. Yeah, that was my like, first thought when when I heard the new title. I was like, oh, that makes much more sense for a Christmas movie. Yeah. So like all of his posters were his, his. My favorite poster of his is the original one. It's not. It's not what the the cover of the movie is now. But did you guys ever see the uh, the ugly sweater poster? Yeah. Yeah, I think oh. it's your Twitter icon, isn't it? <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, that's right. It's my Twitter icon. He that was his pitch, uh, and he was like, "It Christmas gets ugly," um, and doing this like knit poster was so cool and he had someone like design how to knit that sweater even though it was on like photoshop so it's cool i think i actually posted that poster on twitter and then zach retweeted it and was like i don't know who designed this poster but i love it (laughs) (laughs) that's so great yeah josh is like i i've told josh like i want to work with you on every movie I do now because <laughs> I just want to know what my new title is going to be ahead of time. He's already changed like <laughs> the title of my next project. Um, so he's a smart guy, smart cookie. Cool. Yeah. Uh, speaking of your next project, what are you up to now? So I can't, or yeah, as much as you can say, <laughs> nothing's been announced yet. So I, I can't say much, but I'll say, um, my, my very first film, Undocumented, and Better Watch Out, they were both playing with um, what, what I like to call like backyard villains, like people who are, th- these are real things. Um, if, if, you know, they're not necessarily in every neighborhood, but that kind of talk is in every neighborhood. So like the toxic masculinity issue um, in Better Watch Out, or sorry, in Undocumented, it was about racism. It was things that, like, growing up in Texas, you heard all the time. Um, and both these movies were kind of like me saying, like, all right, let's, let's actually see what happens if you really follow all these words that you're using and, and all, these, all these opinions that you're spouting mm-hmm. and see kind of, like, what kind of personality that leads to. So um, I, I can say that my next movie is finally going to be a supernatural story. Nice. Um, Still making commentary on something, but it's it's uh, if Better Watch Out was kind of like our flip on the home invasion story, um, this next one is going to be a flip on the possession story. Awesome, uh, in in a way that I don't think anyone's ever done before. So cool. So we're excited. Yeah. But I mean, obviously, you're still planning it out. But I mean, when do you expect things to start get get, get rolling on that? So, um, the script is finished. Uh, I'm, I'm aligned with some really awesome, way bigger producers than I've ever, uh, been with before. Uh, I'll just say these producers have never made a movie as small as this movie that we're going to do together. (laughs) (laughs) They're, They're used to doing things way bigger. Um, but we are walking down the financing right now and, the plan is to shoot. Uh, I can't even say that. Shoot. Um, <laughs> I'll say the plan is to shoot it on a continent I have not shot in yet. Okay. <laughs> I'll say that. So it's cool. It's 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 de- this is definitely going to be the scariest movie I've ever done. I'm just doing, going pure horror with this. Awesome. Um, and supernatural. It's it's fucking great. <laughs> Awesome. So, ho- hoping hoping something gets announced soon so I can finally share the more details. Cool. 
All right. Well, um, I think that's about all we got for you. Uh, one last or, thing I, oh, I do okay. want to say is uh, Better Watch Out has been nominated for a Grave Plot Award, which is our annual end of the year awards. So congratulations on that. <laughs> all right. It's very prestigious. Well, <laughs> I wonder I wonder who I have to buy beers for to... Not today. Um, <laughs> Me. <laughs> that's great. Thank you, guys. Well, I, I, I uh, had a lot of fun talking about the movie... Um, I hope, uh, I hope people, it's weird now that Christmas is over. It's kind of like the good thing about a Christmas movie is it does really well during Christmas, but then afterwards it's almost like, well, eh, watch it next year. So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah um, I think that's definitely, I mean, in my mind, I mean, obviously I've never made a holiday film, but that definitely seems like kind of like the, 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 the the downfall of it, I guess, is just like right. yeah, people only want to watch it that one time of year. So, right, but that's yeah. okay. I we definitely, I I mean, I I I heard from so many people who've seen the movie, and it's been really cool. Mm-hmm. So, uh, if for for all the for all the attention that it got in December, I think I'm okay to take a break for a while. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah you know, holiday movies. I think especially with Christmas movies. Yeah, people only watch it like once a year, but if you, if you make something memorable, it's something they watch every year. You know, they could wa- exactly. go watch you know uh, uh, a Marvel movie and you know see it once or twice and then not watch it again for several years. With a Christmas right. movie, you watch that every year. Yep. So, right. and and like we were talking about, the best ones you can kind of watch any time of year because they're not really actually about Christmas; they're just set at that time. Right. Yeah. You know, um, I'll watch Die Hard so whenever, damn it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So this is this is a movie that like does not require for it to be a Christmas movie. It just has fun with that juxtaposition. So cool. All right. Well, awesome. Thanks for so much for coming on, Chris. Well, we had a lot of fun talking to you, and um, we uh, we really enjoyed your movie. So um, thanks for making it, creating it, <laughs> making it. <laughs> Thank you, and thanks for having me on. And I'll definitely we'll have to do this again after the next one. Absolutely, sounds good. Yeah, cool. uh, we'll we'll stay in touch. All right, All right. thanks again, Chris, and uh, we'll talk to you later. Cool. Take care. Bye bye. Bye. I got that great plot. I got that great plot. I got that great plot. It's right off the highway. Wobbledy wobbledy drop into my grave plot. You afraid of death? Well, I'm afraid not, cause I got the bomb spot right off the highway. I did it my way. A very small percent of the time. Fun stuff. Great interview. Quite. I enjoyed it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's fun. Fun stuff. <laughs> Um, but yeah, be sure to check out Better uh, Watch Out. Um, it's on, I think it's on VOD, just general VOD. Um, it's on Shudder. So if anybody has Shudder out there, um, and you can also get it on DVD and Blu-ray, I believe. Um, so, uh, and be sure to listen to our review on our last episode. Yeah. Episode 99. Cause this is episode back, 100. Back in the double digits. <laughs> That's our past. We don't want. We don't want to delve into that. Anyway, um, cool. So, onwards and upwards to infinity and beyond. <laughs> Buzz Lightyear. <laughs> hey guys, this is Jimmy George, uh, writer and producer of the WNUF Halloween Special. I just wanted to say congrats on a hundred episodes of your podcast, and uh, uh, here's to a hundred more. Cheers, guys. Hey, Grave Plot. This is Freddie from Mixtape Massacre. 
from all of us at Team Mixtape, we just want to congratulate you on your uh, 100th episode, and we're looking forward to many more. Keep killing it, guys. Skeletoni, Taylor of Terror, congratulations on your 100th episode of the Grave Plot Podcast. Mikey McMurrin here, Director of Secret Santa. Just wanted to say congratulations to you both, and thank you so much for supporting me and my project, Secret Santa, and my new one. These guys really do a great job with helping out and supporting independent horror film. They've got great things to say and are just generally awesome people. 100 episodes is not easy to do, guys, and you may Make it sound effortless. I always have a blast listening to you, and here's to a hundred more. Congrats. Okay, so now we are going to talk about a couple movies. Um, so here are our reviews. So we left you hanging last episode. We didn't tell you what we were going to be reviewing. Little secret we didn't know. (laughs) But um, on the advice of a couple listeners and after discussing it, we decided for episode 100, we were going to go and find two movies that are widely regarded as some of the best horror movies ever made. Um, And... uh, so we we jump back several decades. I wonder at what point movies become the best horrors ever made. I mean, do they have to be like thirty years old? No, but it's a pretty high bar to be, have a movie come out and be like, "Yes, this is it. This is the one. <laughs> this so is the good. pinnacle. <laughs> Finally got there." Yeah, I mean, because it's got to stand the test of time somewhat, right? Yeah, I guess. But anyway, so uh, two movies that we reviewed are um, The Exorcist and The Shining. Uh, So Taylor, as you do, why don't you pick which one we're going to start with? I think since we were just talking about The Shining and the last story of horror business, let's go ahead and just make that transition. The Shining. I don't suppose they... uh told you anything in Denver about the tragedy we had up here during the winter of 1970? Well, a man named Charles Grady is the winter caretaker. And he came up here with his wife and two little girls, I think about eight and ten. From what I've been told, I mean, he seemed like a completely normal individual. But at some point during the winter, he must have suffered some kind of a complete mental breakdown. He ran amok and uh, killed his family with an axe. Can rest assured, Mr. Ullman, that's not going to happen with me. Mom? Yeah? Do you really want to go and live in that hotel for the winter? Sure I do. It'll be lots of fun. Yeah, I guess so. For some people, uh, solitude and Isolation can, of itself, become a problem. What do you do? They killed you and Danny. You did this to me. Didn't you? 
Okay, so The Shining, a 1980 movie uh, based on the Stephen King novel of the same name. Uh, it's co-written, or is directed by Stanley Kubrick, uh, also co-written by him and Diane Johnson. Um, so, yeah, when this movie came out, The Shining had only been out for three years, so they really did a quick turnaround on this. Um, now, this movie is shrouded in a bit of controversy because Stephen King was very publicly uh, critical of the movie, saying that um, just Kubrick basically lost the essence and the spirit of, of the book and, and basically the, the point of it. Um, Kubrick came back and said that he thought Stephen King was a weak writer and he didn't really like the story that much. <laughs> um, so there's that. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the, the, the book is pretty long. It takes a while to get through unless you're Kevin Nesgoda, apparently. You can get through it in three days. <laughs> um, he doesn't know how to read, so he just... <laughs> just looks at the pictures. He just flips through pages. So, yeah, I know that one. <laughs> that, you know that one? Yeah. Um, okay, so... I have to, I guess, preface this by saying that the movie is very different than the book. The feel of it is different. The progression of it is different. Um, basically, the 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 main plot, like the meat of the, I guess the the core of the plot, is the same. Aside from that, there's m- there's much that is different. Um, so I'm going to try and separate the book from the movie and just analyze the movie on its own. I may reference back to the book just at times, but I'm going to be focused primarily on the movie, and that's how I'm going to be basing my review. So the movie starts out with just uh, probably one of the most, I I think, most memorable shots in cinema, just this long uh, flyover shot of um, what is apparently Glacier Park in uh, Montana. Um, but just following. Oh, really? That part's not in Oregon. No. Um, and actually, almost none of this was filmed. Like, none of this was filmed in Oregon. Just the outside of just, the just the outside of the hotel. Oh. Um, everything else was filmed on a soundstage in England, <laughs> because Stanley Kubrick would not leave the UK. I did not know that. Yeah. Um. So this. We're following um, Jack Torrance, who's taking a job as a caretaker, or a winter caretaker at the Overlook Hotel. It's this huge, grand hotel with this overlook, overlooking... Uh, Hence the name. Ah. Uh, <laughs> the overlook, this overlooking view of the, uh, of the Rocky Mountains. Um, and it, it, it's, it's beautiful. Uh, the outside of the hotel is a little funky looking, I think. It looks like... Um, I don't know, like a old German castle or something. Kind of, yeah. The, um, the outside shots are the Timberline Lodge in Oregon, right? Um, which is it's funny because the Timberline Lodge is in Oregon. The 
Overlook is in Colorado. The Overlook and the Stanley, the hotel that it was based on, is in Colorado. And the inside of the inside looks of the of the interior of the um, the hotel were based on another hotel in some other state, in like Utah or something like that. So it's just really just all over the all over the place. Um, so Jack, so this does take place in Colorado. Yes. Okay. Um, just outside the town of Sidewinder, which I believe is a real town. I just kind of assumed it was Maine. No, and actually that's the thing. Just trying to stay away from the book. That's the thing um, that Stephen King had just written two stories that took place in Maine, uh, and so he real for his third book he actually wanted to get what Sidewinder is not a real place. It's not okay. Um, wait, I knew that. Never mind. Anyway, um, Stephen King wanted to get away from he want he, he <clears throat> want to wanted to go somewhere else in the country. Uh, and base his story entirely somewhere else outside of Maine to get a different feel for it or have a different feel to the book. And so I guess he just picked a place on the map, happened to be Boulder, Colorado. And so he, he and his wife went and stayed at the over, or the Stanley. And basically the story wrote itself from there, just oh, based on okay. the, the lore in the Stanley, which you've been there, I'm sure you're familiar with. Yeah. Um. Anyway, so that's something I was going to mention later, but since it's it's brought up now, um, yeah, I went to the Stanley Hotel uh, last year, last October, and you know you guys can go head over to our blog at greatflotpodcast dot com, and I, I wrote a whole post about it and posted a bunch of pictures. But I thought it was funny that uh, I've been to the Stanley Hotel, you've been to the Exorcist Steps, <laughs> yeah, it's fun, fun stuff, yeah. <laughs> Um, have, you haven't been there? I, I know you've been to D.C. I've never been to D.C. Really? Yeah. Never mind then. Anyway. Okay. Um, so, yeah, Jack, he turns up the o- Overlook and he has his interview with uh, the the uh, general manager, Mr. Ullman. Um, it's funny that this Ullman, he was such a, you know, a friendly guy. In the book, he's a total prick. Oh really? Like he's a real stickler for rules. Uh, he's not sure about Jack because he thinks he's not probably not a good guy. Well, that's because Stephen King hates the Allman Brothers, but Stanley Kubrick really likes them. <laughs> it's Allman, yeah, like Tracy Allman, <laughs> right? Um, so, so Jack has his interview. Um, it's all going really well. Um, Ullman says, you know, I think this is, I think this is a good fit. I think you, you'll do well here. I do, however, just need to, to inform you of the issues that we've had here in the past. It tends to screw with people. Uh, he says several years ago, we had a, a winter caretaker like yourself. He came up here with his wife and two daughters, a man by the name of Grady. Um, at some point he lost his mind. He chopped up his, uh, or he he killed his wife and his daughters with an ax. He stacked their bodies neatly and, um, then put a, put two barrels of a shotgun in his, in his mouth and killed himself. 
Um, he says that he thinks that, or a lot of people say that he is probably afflicted by cabin fever um, because this job, basically the overlook is closed from the end of October through to the beginning of May. Um, and Jack actually makes a good, asks a good question. He says, well, I would think, why, why aren't you opening in the winter? I th- would think this would be a perfect place for sk- the ski season. Wellman says, yeah, it absolutely would be, except that the road from Sidewinder usually gets about 20 feet of snow every winter, and the cost to keep those roads clear just wouldn't offset the cost of keeping the, um, or the, the money being brought in by skiers and you know people seeking a winter refuge. So he says, no, the Overlook was built for its tranquility, its solace, um, and just as a spring and summer getaway. Um, anyway, so Jack accepts the job, um, and he calls Wendy, to, his wife Wendy, um, to, to inform him that he's he's gotten the job. Um, and so he, the two of them and their son Danny um, are going to basically live at the Overlook for the winter. Um Wendy's there's Jack Torrance is played by uh, Jack Nicholson, of course. Wendy is played by Shelley Duvall, and Danny Torrance is played by um, Danny Lloyd, who was this was his only role. He oh he didn't act after after this. He tried apparently until he until he was about fourteen, and then he just gave up. Really? <laughs> yeah. Nobody would cast him anything. Yeah, I mean, but if you think about it, was he really that good? I thought he was kind of obnoxious. I thought that was kind of the point. But he's not like that in the book. I mean, again, that, those are the differences between the movie and the book. Danny Danny in this was portrayed as very um, withdrawn and almost robotic. He's really not like that in the book. He's got a certain sense of uh, disturbance because of what he sees. Because of his, his shinning. His shinning. <laughs> um, but he uh, he's, he's not a weird robotic kid. Anyway, so the th- the three of them get up to the overlook and they're just basically taking tours. This is the last day of the season, so you see, you know, the maintenance crew cleaning everything up and, you know, the the staff is leaving for the season. They make, meet uh Big Dick Halloran, uh who is the cook, also a character in It. Just so you know, a little crossover, Stephen King crossover. Yep. Um the black spot Yes, sir. Uh, so you find out that Dick um, shares Danny's Shinny. abilities. <laughs> uh, he tells him that you know what you see is is something that is what you get. Right. <laughs> uh, he tells him that it's 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 a. Basically, a ability to see things that other people can't, hear things that other people can't, that you can also communicate with other people that have it. It's he called it the he called it the shine or the shining. Um, he said he used to sit with his grandmother and have com- full conversations without opening ever opening their mouths. Uh, Dick is played by Scatman Crothers. Squee bop 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 bop. Squee bop 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 you know what bothers me about that song? Tell me. He says, if the scat man can do it, so can you. It's like, no, your name is literally the scat man. 
Well, you know, the thing about that guy is he had a, a terrible stutter. And he found that the the stutter actually helped him scat. So Makes sense. It, the, that song is actually like a public service thing for kid to kids with stutters. Saying that, like, if I can oh. do this, so can you. You can conquer your, your stutter. I was just saying, like, hey, anybody can scat. Yeah. Because the scat man can do it. I'm like, no, your name <laughs> is the scat man. It's, it's kind of your thing. I think there's actually a line in that song. It says the scat man stutters, but never stutters when he sings or when he scats or st- sings or whatever. So there's that. There's anyway, that. Trivia. Not to be confused with the skeet man. <laughs> no, that's a whole different story. You don't want to meet that guy. Anyway, um, so Dick tells Danny that, you know, there's a lot of things that go on in this hotel, um, but none of them can hurt you. But if you ever feel like you're in trouble, all you have to do is use your shine and call me and I'll be there. Um, so he leaves, Ullman leaves, and it's just the Torrances left there alone. And so this is when it starts to kind of jump in time. Like it's, you, I think it starts every every day at first, but then it starts to go forward more in time. Um, you know, in the book, it, it takes place from October, I think through January. And I think that the timeline in this is much shorter. Yeah. Um, and it's not super specific because it doesn't count off days. It just says days of the week. Right. Um. Anyway, so Jack is up there. He wants the reason he was so eager to take this job is because Jack is uh, an alcoholic, um, who was recently fired from his job at a um, private school. The reason why is not explored in this. It's it's talked about pretty in depth in the book. Um, he was fired from his teaching job at a cover. Uh, private school um he has a history of violence against danny um but he has since sworn off the drink he's been sober for however many months that's funny (laughs) when danny has a an imaginary friend who is who lives inside of his mouth (laughs) mouth apparently and then when he opens his mouth he goes down into his stomach and his name is tony (laughs) (laughs) that's who you're named after right yeah you know um It's it, so he kind of has this uh, this blackout almost, and so in their home in Boulder before they actually move up to the hotel, Wendy calls in a doctor, and doctors you know checking out checking Danny out. Just says, okay, well get some bed rest, um, and you know you'll be fine. And she goes out in the living room and talks to Wendy, and Wendy's saying, yeah, well my husband's an alcoholic, and he has he's he's previously hurt our son. And the look on that doctor's face is just like, it's priceless because it's almost like she's like not playing a character and like Shelley Duvall is actually telling her that her husband beats her son and she's (laughs) just kind of laughing it off and it's like, well, he's been sober for five months, I think she said. It's like, uh, okay, (laughs) good. (laughs) Well, you know, let's hope that keeps up. It'd be funny if they just like didn't put it in the doctor's script. So he had no idea she was going to deliver that line. She's <laughs> like, "What?" Uh, uh, it's like, "Hey," and she's just like laying it out. She's like not trying to be coy about it so much. 
she's just like, yeah. Well, he he had a few drinks and he came home and he he pulled Danny's arm out of his or his shoulder out of its socket. <laughs> like, oh, hold on, say that part again. <laughs> hey, you're very kind of gung ho about this. <laughs> I feel like this should be a bigger deal to you. Anyway, so Jack took this job because he's writing. I think in this it's a novel. In the book, it's a play. Uh, and actually, in the the remake miniseries, it's it's a play as well. Well, the remake's a lot closer to the book because Stephen King wrote it, right? Um, and EP'd it too, right? Uh, I think so. And that was directed by Mick Garris, starring Brian from Wings. Right. <laughs> um, I'll get. I'll, I'll talk about that later. I I, I want to discuss <clears throat> that. Uh, not in depth. What but, Wings? <laughs> yeah, Wings. <laughs> You know, Antonio Scarpacci, my favorite character. Wait, more than Lloyd? <laughs> uh, what's his face? Um, Thomas Hayden Church? No, no, no. Um, oh. Tony Shalhoub? Tony Shalhoub. Tony Shalhoub for life, bro. <laughs> you know about that monk? <laughs> no. What you know about monk? I never watched monk. <laughs> really? You never watched it? No. Oh, fuck. I know it had Trailer Howard in it. I like her. Yeah. From Boston Common. And was, wasn't she in... Um, Two Guys Are Going to Pizza Place? Ryan Reynolds in a pizza place. <laughs> uh, yeah. And Dirty Work. Yep. What other movies was she in? <laughs> Let's talk more about Trailer Howard. <laughs> uh, okay, so... Uh, time starts to go on, and... The... Danny starts to see things. Um, starts off with two little girls, maybe like a few years older than him. Um, Jen and Sylvia Saska. Right. <laughs> um, they are standing, holding hands and just staring at him. Um, and so it just is, it's creepy shit like that. It starts appearing. Um, and Danny basically knows right away that this place is fucked up. Um, and he doesn't quite communicate that to his parents, namely Jack, because he is clearly losing his mind. <laughs> yeah. Um, so he starts, Jack, um, starts to just descend into this, this mania. Um, he can't, he's not sleeping, um. Because he he says that he he can't sleep because he has so much he has to do, um, and that's like this this thought pattern that the hotel is putting into his head, um, and things just the the relationship between him and his his wife um, and his son they all start to degrade because he starts basically losing his mind, um, and he goes into this big ballroom, which was mentioned by Ullman at the beginning that like they usually have a fully stocked bar, but for insurance purposes, they remove it at the end of the season. It's called the gold room, right? Or the gold ballroom, the golden ballroom. Yeah. Um, and so he goes in there, he sits down at the bar and I was really disappointed that there wasn't a golden ballroom in the Stanley. Is there any ballroom? There is, but we weren't allowed to go in there because there was somebody having a wedding. Uh, how cliche. I know. Right. (laughs) Um, so, and the girl totally looked like somebody who would get married at the Stanley. Yeah. Yeah. 
She had like that like punk rock goth horror chick kind of look. Horror? Horror. Oh. <laughs> It's like, geez, Taylor, I don't even know her. <laughs> yeah, she's getting married, that whore. <laughs> Stupid skank. God, I bet she's going to fuck him tonight. <laughs> okay, so she, um, or so, so Jack starts to uh, hallucinate. He pictures uh, a bartender named Lloyd. Uh, From Wings. <laughs> It's Thomas Aiden Church. It's a circle. <laughs> the mechanic from Wings is the bartender. Oh, man. What if the bartender in the remake was fucking Thomas Aiden Church? Oh, my Church? God. That would be amazing. That'd be perfect. Why didn't they do that? <laughs> so, okay. So, could you just imagine? You watched it. And he goes to the bar. And he's just like, hey, Lloyd. And it just pans over. And it's Thomas Aiden Church. Dre- wearing the jumpsuit and the hat. <laughs> oh. Uh. Awesome. And Ullman is played by Roy Biggins. <laughs> whose last name is Biggins. <laughs> and his birthday is on leap year. <laughs> um. He actually would have fit the role better, too, because in the book, Ullman is like just this sweaty, fat guy. (laughs) Really? (laughs) So, like, Ullman was completely just misrepresented in this. Sounds like it. Um, Anyway, so uh, Lloyd starts feeding Jack drinks. Whether or not he's actually drinking, we we don't really know, because later in the movie, Wendy locks him in in a food locker, and then Lloyd lets him out. So it's like, it's like you never really know. Is he actually drinking, or is this just part of his mania? Well, I mean, if Lloyd's not real, then how could he be pitching him drinks, right? But he let him out of that locker. Maybe the wasn't really locked. I don't know. I don't know. I have no answers. Curious. Mm. <laughs> Indeed. Um. Yes. So shit just starts going crazy. Um. Danny is pretty in tune to most of it, and Wendy is basically too consumed with uh, Jack trying to kill her to really <laughs> see that Danny is kind of descending into like this fugue state almost. Um, Good but- use of fugue state. Thanks, bro. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, so, I mean, the hotel basically starts to take control of Jack, um, and he, he he goes on a rampage. He starts to chase Wendy through the hotel with, a, with an axe, um, and, you know, the famous Here's Johnny scene, um, and then, of course, chasing Danny through the, uh, through the hedge, topi- maze. hedge maze. Um, yeah. Uh, By the way, we didn't mention this before, but both these movies are going to have spoilers in our reviews for two obvious reasons. One, they're both over 30 years old. And two, if you haven't seen these movies, what the fuck are you doing with your life? Yeah. Stop listening to the show. Go watch these movies. Then come back to us. Um, <clears throat> anyway. Oh, yeah. At some point, that uh, Danny has f- fucking like, I don't know. It's like some kind of guy. 
like temper temper tantrum or something. <laughs> but he starts looking like he's starting to have an aneurysm. When he just starts like yeah, he's, shaking and he's drooling. basically shining to Dick, who's across the country. Like he's in Colorado and Dick is down in Florida. So he's got to shine long distance. <laughs> and that shit ain't cheap. Yeah. And you know, they they really undersold how strong Danny's shine was. Yeah. Because in the book, he would shine because he had had a very little control over it. And in the book, Dick had never seen somebody shine as hard as Danny did because he would project into Dick's mind and his Dick's nose would start to bleed. So, I mean, it was that strong and that, that was just not represented in this. No. It was in the miniseries though, which there, there are so many, if you're really a fan of the book, like I am, I feel like the miniseries from nine, 1993, four maybe? I don't know. Um, right around when Wings was at its peak. <laughs> when Steven Weber was a hot item. <laughs> um, I think that's going to have a lot more for you because there are nuances from the book that make it onto screen rather than, than they did or when they didn't in the, in the film. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, so what are your thoughts? I mean, I fucking love this movie. Sure. Yeah. Um, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about some of the conspiracy theories around this movie. Have you seen room 237? I have not. Um, those of you who don't know the room 237 is a documentary about these conspiracy theories surrounding this movie. Like a lot of people think that Stanley Kubrick was involved in the moon landing, uh, filming because they don't believe that the moon landing is real. Max, I'm talking about you. What, are you serious? Yeah. Oh, Max. Max, come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Oh, Max. Um, yeah, people think that uh, it, the moon landing was all faked on a soundstage and that Stanley Kubrick and Ron Howard were involved. Ron Howard? Yeah. You know, he was still the guy from Happy Days at the time. <laughs> no. No, he was still Opie at the time. 80? The moon landing? Is he still Opie? Oh, when the moon landing. Oh, yeah, I guess he was still <laughs> Opie, wouldn't he? Maybe it wasn't Ron Howard. I don't know. People believe Stanley Kubrick was involved. And so there's this theory that he put clues into The Shining, like Danny's NASA sweater. <laughs> what? Yeah, I don't know. And there's other theories that the, the the Shining is actually a metaphor for the genocide of the Native Americans. I saw something about that. Yeah, yeah, uh, which is basically tied around the fact that there's Indian heads on like a, a coffee cans behind them when they're in the uh, cellar or something. Well, and, and a lot of the hotels decorated in kind of an a Native American themed. Sure. Uh, mainly was Navajo, I think you said. I don't remember. But yeah, there's all these theories about, you know, all these hidden messages. And there's also just really weird things that Stanley Kubrick put in for seemingly no reason. That's Stanley Kubrick for you. But yeah, there's like like the uh, the all, all work and no play make Jack a dull boy scene. Everybody knows that scene where he's typing that on the typewriter. Problem? The banner fell. I mean, it like scooted down, but I don't... Eerie. Yeah. But in that scene, there's a chair in the background, and then and then like it cuts away and cuts back, and the chair's gone. Oh my God, that never happens. Yeah. Like, but apparently it was done on purpose. 
Because, yeah, it's fucking Stanley Kubrick, man. It's ridiculous. What a bunch of fucking nonsense. <laughs> but I mean, you know, take all that away and you've got a, a genuinely scary isolationist horror film. Absolutely. Um, and one of my favorite episodes of The Simpsons. <laughs> Shh, you want to get sued? <laughs> Just <laughs> no TV and no beer. Make Homer something, something. <laughs> Go crazy? Don't mind if I do. <laughs> so good classic urge to kill rising rising fading rising <laughs> there's um all those the, there's 500 pages of uh all work and no play make jacket doll boy um and there's actually a, a rumor floating around that kubrick actually typed those out all by himself like all by hand oh yeah yeah because i guess like people thought that he he had a typewriter that had uh, a memory in it, so it could like auto type things. So it was easy to just put in a sh- sheet of paper and have it auto type the entire page. But if you look, all they're the formatted pages, differently. Yeah, they're formatted in different sequences. Like they they look like a novel. Mm-hmm. Like the you know the paragraphs start with an indentation, and there's you know broken down into different paragraphs. But it's it's just the same seven words. Yeah. Um. Ten words. Ten. Ten words. Ah, 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 ah. ah. Um, I, f- I forgot what I was talking about. Uh, typewriter? Yes. Uh, so, yeah, there's a rumor that Kubrick actually typed all those out. Um, I believe it. I would, too. He's he's a, He was a very particular man. Mm-hmm. Uh, very strange. <laughs> um, yeah. So apparently Stephen King actually wrote a screenplay for this. Kubrick didn't even look at it. Didn't even pick it up. Yeah. Because like I said, he he said that Stephen King was a weak writer. So how did he get attached to it in the first place? I have no idea. Like, Why would he sign on to it if he thought Stephen King was so bad? I mean, if you like the the story, that's one thing. Maybe he didn't like the way that King wrote it, but he liked the general premise. Interesting. Um, but yeah, so there was a, there was a squabble between him and King for a long time. And actually when Stephen King wanted to make the miniseries, apparently I think Stanley Kubrick must've owned some kind of cinematic rights to it. Like he, like he was the only one that could make any kind of screen adaptation of the shining in order to get that permission from Kubrick, Kubrick made Stephen King, Sign a document. There it goes. Sign a document saying that uh, he was no longer going to badmouth the film. <laughs> like, how fucking petty is that? Quite, quite petty. Tom Petty. <laughs> R.I.P. One, One love. love. <laughs> um. Anyway. So yeah, um, but this this is is an amazing movie. Most of Kubrick's movies are. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he didn't did a, dabble much in, else in horror, did he? No, but he like when he wanted when he made this movie, he had wanted to get into horror. He wanted to make a horror movie, and so I guess this is that's why this was like a prime target for him. Um, and so he he just wanted to make a very straight isolationist horror, like you said. Um. 
so I don't know what else I was going to say. I mean, if you're, you know, if, if, is going to my brain. if you're looking for a splatter flick, this, this is not it by any means. There's, you know, you've got the iconic elevator scene or every woman's representation of her period. <laughs> right. <laughs> but aside from that, there's not, there's no gore. There's no, well, I mean, I guess that that's not true. Cause you do have the, the, hallway, the, scene. the hallway scene of the Grady girls. Plus you've got the, the woman in room 237 who, you know, it's not gore, but she's fucking disgusting. Yeah. Um, but you know, boobs. Yeah, bro. <laughs> um, S- old saggy witch <laughs> boobs. The, the, the woman before that though, it's pretty nice. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the woman in that bathtub, there's another thing. It's like in the movie, she's just there. There's no rhyme or reason to it. Um, in in the book, there's there's she actually has a story. There's there's a backstory to her. Oh really? Yeah. Um, and uh, that, that I guess for me, having read the book and being such a big fan of it, it's all the stuff that's missing that gets me. And understandably, it's a lot of stuff that was left out intentionally, um, because it, it would just make the movie. Over overblown or overinflated, I guess, and too long. I was gonna say, and also like four hours long. Yeah, um, but it's like you know, you go back to Jack. There's, there's like a talk about Jack as a kid um, with his abusive alcoholic father, and how he tried to protect his mother, and you know all this shit. Like, there's there, the book is deep, um, and also the ending's yeah. completely different. <laughs> well, that's pretty pretty typical. But I mean, it's like not even close. Yeah, like there is no uh, hedge maze in the book. Right. <laughs> the closest thing to it are topiary anim- animals that come to life. Yeah. Um. By the way, the hedge maze at the actual Stanley Hotel is quite disappointing. <laughs> well, it's brand new, and it? it's like two feet tall. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, Almond says at one point the hedge maze at Stanley is like almost as old as the hotel itself. Yeah, it's like almost 100 years old. Not to say that it took 100 years for it to get that big, but right. It, it's a process. Yeah, it's not there at the actual Stanley. Well, I mean, it is now, but it wasn't at the time. Like I said, right. it's like two feet tall, and there was a kid in the up, in the upstairs window who was like, no, go left. Yeah. <laughs> and then I was like, do you guys hear that kid yelling at me? And my, my girlfriend was like, that kid died 20 years ago. Whoa. <laughs> Oh, yes. Um, but I mean, you know, I've talked about it on the show before. I I love iconography of of movies, and this movie is just fucking littered with them. We talked yeah. about, you know, you've got the famous elevator scene. The floor of the hotel in itself is fucking iconic. Mm-hmm. I once went out to brunch, and the girl had the the pattern dyed in the side of her head. <laughs> nice. Yeah. That's <clears throat> um. The... You know, plus the Grady twins. Everybody knows the Grady twins. Right. Um, the director of Toy Story... Th- I think it's the director of Toy Story 3. That's a great fucking movie. <laughs> uh, is also like one of the biggest um, shining collectors. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, he's, he's obsessed with it. Like He runs a fan site 
like one of, like the biggest fan site out there. Uh, he helped get to uh, Room Two Thirty Seven made. Um, huh. He's also included a lot of stuff in his films, um, namely to Toy Story Three. Like there's a carpet pattern that's the the Stanley or the um, Overlook carpet pattern. <laughs> um, there is, I think, I should have worn my Stanley shirt today. Yeah, you should have, bro. Um, he, uh, let's see what else. Um, and the, you know, there's a couple of references to 237 in, in the movies. Um, I think like a license plate on a car is RM 237. Room 237. Yeah. Anyway. And that's another thing about the 237. It was changed. Yep. And the reason for that was that the Timberline Lodge. No, the Stanley. I'm pretty sure it was a Timberline. It might have been both then, because oh, wow. I'm telling you from people who worked at the Stanley. Oh well, the the reason that I know is that the Timberline Lodge, uh, the only way they'd agree to let them use the exteriors in the film is if they changed the room number to two thirty seven, because they didn't want people to avoid two one seven. Ah, uh, and the hotel has no room two thirty seven. So, but he's. A comment I saw was that in the most commonly requested room is 217. Yeah. So, was that the same reason for the Stanley? Yep. No. Well, then. And also room 217 burned down. Oh. <laughs> burned down, fell over, and then sunk into the swamp? Yep. <laughs> starting to lose my voice. Um. I mean, if I have a complaint about this movie, is it's that it's it is very long, mm-hmm. it's uh, like almost almost two and a half hours. Yeah, and <clears throat> you know, I don't I don't want to say it lulls because it does move well, but there are a few scenes that just I kind like of the way you move. Uh, uh, uh. There are a couple scenes that just kind of go on a little too long. Yeah, and really, that that would be my only complaint. I think it's just a, a it, Kub- it's a very Kubrick, Kubrick way of making films. Yeah. Um, because he was very focused more on visuals rather than uh, dialogue. Yeah, uh, I mean that that's evident in all of his movies: The Shining, Clockwork Orange, two thousand one. All of them, like these long, drawn out scenes where there's no talking. Yeah, or you know these where you just you're just staring at something for almost an uncomfortable amount of time. <laughs> um. Yeah, just that's just a Kubrick it is. thing, and you know it's it's not not for me, sure. But otherwise, this movie is fucking fantastic. It's it's near flawless. It you know it builds tension, and then it just comes to this grand crescendo at the end, mm-hmm. and it's you know here's Johnny, and just everything is so fucking iconic about it, and and I I have very little bad things to say about it. Well, there you go. Um. Yeah, it, I, I'm I'm pretty much in the same boat. This is just a a great movie. It's very well done. Um, my only major complaints just come from the the certain things that were changed about it from the book that I think would have helped tell the story better. Yeah. Um, one of my biggest complaints was actually one of Stephen King's big, big, biggest complaints too, was that a lot of people are going to hate me for saying this. Jack Nicholson was so wrong for that role because he just has 
this look about him that says crazy man. And that was basically misrepresenting Jack Torrance because you get this impression from the movie that Jack Torrance is already kind of crazy when yeah, they get there. That's true. In the book, he's just a normal guy dealing with some issues. Yeah. And he becomes crazy. <clears throat> and that's basically taken away from the movie. You don't see that progression. You don't Makes see sense. him getting, you don't see him going from completely sane to completely insane. Yeah. So um, I get that. Yeah. And I, I, I kind of like the ending, but the book ending much better. It's, uh, I don't know. Maybe maybe it's a little more um, family friendly, <laughs> as much as it can be, I guess. Um, I don't know. Anyway, but other than that, no, I don't have a lot of complaints. This movie, as its own or on it as its own entity, aside from the book, is fantastic. Absolutely, it's done really well. It's very spooky. Like to the you know, regardless of how many times I've seen it, it's still spooky. Those long hallways with the overlook, um, the way that it's just completely silent uh, and so desolate. Um, there's, there's something to be said about large places that are usually populated when they're empty. Yeah. Almost always creepy. Yeah. It's like if I'm here in this house by myself, no big deal. If I was like at the mall. I was just thinking mall. I don't know why yeah. my brain went to mall too, but. just a big space with a lot of people in it, I guess. Um, yeah, big empty mall. Yeah. It's creepy as fuck. Right. And I think it's just maybe the, maybe the same sensation of being like trapped out in a desert alone or something. Just a big... It's isolationism. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. As a standalone film, you, you couldn't really ask for more. Agreed. So... Uh, what do we think of number wise? I'm going nine. Really? Yep. That's a bold statement. Not no, not even hesitating. Absolutely a nine. All right. Um, I don't want to give it a nine. I think that's too high. I'll do eight. So you think that's? I think the the difference between us is that you're more of a stickler for the book, whereas I'm I'm. I'm I'm trying really hard to separate it from the book, though. Sure, but I mean, it's hard to do. Yeah, like you said, some of your biggest complaints were things that were changed from the book. Mm-hmm. If, if you didn't have that preconceived notion, you probably wouldn't have those complaints. And the, my the the thing about those complaints that I, I kind of already touched on is that I think they would have helped progress the story better had they been kept in. Yeah, but there wasn't a a lot of story to this. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it's pretty... I mean, as opposed to the book that is this gradual progression from normal family, well, semi-normal family to a total shit show. Right. It's much more sudden in this. Yeah. Um, yeah. But excellent movie. Classic. Speaking of classics, uh, we're going to talk about another one. 1979? 73? Say seventy three, bro. <laughs> uh, the Exorcist. Somewhere between science 
and superstition, there is another world. The world of darkness. expected it. Nobody believed it. And nothing could stop it. There are no experts. You probably know as much about possession as most priests. Look, your daughter doesn't say she's a demon. She says she's the devil himself. I'm telling you that that thing upstairs isn't my daughter. I want you to tell me that you know for a fact that there's nothing wrong with my daughter except in her mind. You tell me you know for a fact that an exorcism wouldn't do any good. You tell me that! The one hope. The only hope. The exorcist. Okay, so hopefully everyone knows the story of The Exorcist, but just I in don't, case. I don't, uh, I don't know it. The what? I haven't seen it. Is it like an exercise tape? <laughs> Full disclosure, I did not watch this. Going solely off of memory. You've never seen it? <laughs> not once. <laughs> um, so this is based off the, a book by William Peter Blatty called The Exorcist. Uh, this is so a it's movie. not just a clever name. This is a movie written by... William Peter Blatty, and directed by William Friedkin. Friedkin? Friedkin. William Friedkin? Friedkazoid. <laughs> uh, it's, it's based on a true story. <laughs> based on. Uh, based on the 1949 exorcism of Roland Doe. Uh, but in the movie... And the book, uh, Roland Doe, who was a young boy. Roland Doe. Like Roland Doe. Like pizza. (laughs) Like The Undertaker. There's a Limp Biscuit for for this episode. Wait, is that a thing? (laughs) It is now. We're playing Limp Biscuit. I don't want that to be a thing. (laughs) Limp Biscuit on every episode (laughs) from here on out. Um... Yeah, in this, it's it's a young girl by the name of Regan. Uh, Regan, what's her last name? Oh, fuck! I don't think it's fuck. It's probably not fuck. <laughs> Regan, fuck. Uh, McNeil. Hey, Regan go. McNeil and her her hey, mother. You got it. Her mother Chris, who is an actress. Oh, to start out, this movie starts out with this old priest who's in. The, the Middle East. This fucking old somewhere. guy. Some old fucking bastard. <laughs> uh, he's in Iraq, and he finds this amulet, and he it gives him the heebie-jeebies, and that's it. That's that opening scene. How is that racist? Heebie-jeebies? What? <laughs> really? Yeah, really. That's like a Jewish thing, man. I've always heard heebie-jeebies is just like... Gives you the willies. I know. It's, it was based off of, like, Jews. I've never heard that before. Really? Oh, yeah. 
he all right my apologies <laughs> i didn't I'm, know i'm just throwing you shit i don't really care <laughs> i think it's an out outdated antiquated phrase that just means nothing anymore so who gives a fuck well if anyone was offended i sincerely apologize um <laughs> oh, fuck him <laughs> chuck up another save for the eck <laughs> But basically, this opening scene is so fucking pointless and does nothing but set up the terrible, terrible prequel. <laughs> well, uh, it plays into the rest of the movie. Yeah, but it didn't need to. <laughs> sure. <laughs> so we jump forward to Chris McNeil, who is an actress working in Washington, D.C. Uh, she's living on location. An actress! A thespian? <laughs> You're gay? <laughs> Um, she's living on location with her 12 year old daughter, Regan, uh, Regan plays with a Ouija board and talks to someone she names, um, Captain, uh, Captain Howdy. I was gonna say Captain Spaulding. <laughs> I knew that wasn't right. Uh, there's also a very weird bird thing. <laughs> what is that thing? bird thing the big orange bird thing that she had down in the basement it's like a big doodah bird i don't know do you know what a doodah bird is nope how does nobody know what a doodah bird is maybe it's something you made up it's not it's a <laughs> thing at the fair where you take the bottle and you fill it with different colored sand oh one of those you okay. glue the beak to it and it's a doodah bird it's a fucking doodah bird man <laughs> i don't know how people don't know this it's a very common thing we play with them all the time and eat them claw. No. <laughs> Puyallup. You make them at the fair. Oh. Yes. Uh, but so after Reagan plays with, with Kevin Howdy. Kevin Howdy. Sorry. Just not look at my phone while I'm talking. <laughs> nope. <laughs> Captain Howdy. Um, she starts acting very erratically. Very strange. Uh, she starts stealing things, using foul language. Uh, so her mother takes her to the doctor. Pissing all over the carpet. <laughs> Just pissing everywhere, chewing up toilet paper. This house is going to stink. <laughs> Stinks like asparagus in here. Chewing up her mom's slippers. <laughs> um, Scratching up the furniture. <laughs> so her mom takes her to this doctor. The doctor who is sitting there smoking in the operating room. <laughs> Puts it was a, a different time. Puts a hose in her throat that spews blood everywhere. <laughs> that that scene, like of everything in this movie, that's the scene where I go, ugh. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, gross. Not when she's fucking herself with a crucifix. Nope. That makes me laugh. <laughs> <laughs> and that's not so much uh, for the uh the what's the word? Um sacrilege. Blasphemy. <laughs> yeah, sacrilege. Uh, um, just cause it's like, oh, she's being very aggressive. <laughs> she's going to hurt herself. <laughs> right. But yeah. Like the, the doctor comes in and he's talking to Chris and he says, uh, you know, she, does, does your daughter have a history of swearing? She's like, no, what do you mean? He's like, well, she told me to keep my fingers away from her goddamn cunt. <laughs> I just repeated verbatim what she said. <laughs> yeah. Um, so they go home and things continue to escalate. Uh, at one point, Reagan's bed elevates off the ground, starts shaking. 
she starts just whipping her hair back and forth. If the bed's like, rocking, like, don't come and like Will Smith's daughter. She just whips her hair back and forth. What? Will Smith's daughter had a song. It was like, I whip my hair back and forth. I whip my hair back and forth. Just over and over again for four minutes, and the song was over. <laughs> we all, then we all shot ourselves. <laughs> so she goes back to the doctor, and the doctor's like, yeah, it's a convulsion. And mom's like, fuck you, it's a convulsion. I watched the bed goddamn lift off the floor. <laughs> you know what? Get out of here. <laughs> it's my office. Yeah, fuck you, it's my office now. You don't know what the fuck you're doing. You know, these all these diplomas on the wall. <laughs> And so, of course, you know, being the 70s, their suggestion is, oh, she's ADD. Just give her Adderall. <laughs> was ADD a thing in the 70s? I don't know. Isn't that what they said that she had? I don't fucking know. I didn't watch it. <laughs> <laughs> don't you like how I was phoning it in on our 100th episode? <laughs> um, but then uh, she ends up meeting this priest who was a teacher at Fordham that my girlfriend has to tell me every time I watch this movie. <laughs> like, yes, I know, Fordham, okay. Fucking yes, I know. <laughs> and uh, he introduces her to Father Karras, who is an exorcist who doesn't want to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's lost his faith. Right, because his mom is dying. Yeah. Which is weird, because that's what happens to people Yeah, when they get old. You know, sometimes people die, like... 100% of the time. Yeah. It's like my mom got really old and now she's dying. Why, God? <laughs> Why her? Why have you forsaken me? <laughs> but eventually he teams up with the old guy from the beginning. Father Maris. Father Mer- Marin. Marin. Yeah. Sorry. Mark Marin. <laughs> uh, yeah. Marin and Karis. Their names are very similar. Yeah. But they, they team up. Or Father Damien, if you like. Yeah, like from The Omen. Sure. <laughs> they team up and they have this exorcism, and uh, it doesn't go well. Shit, shit gets wild. Yeah, it's just a lot of weird, wacky stuff. <laughs> <laughs> weird, wild stuff. Um, and then Father Karras ends up, he like grabs her and he's like, take me! And the demon's like, okay! <laughs> And jumps into him, and then he jumps out the window and dies. Right. On the steps where Tony's been. Yeah. I died there, too. Hey, everybody dies. <laughs> yeah. So I realize my explanation is not nearly as in-depth as Tony's explanation of The Shining. Yeah. I tend to do that. Yeah. <laughs> I ramble. We kind of have different styles. It's like you kind of break down the movie as you go. I just say... Here's a brief synopsis. Now let's talk about it. That's what I try to do, but I feel like there are too many dead silences and it makes me nervous. <laughs> <laughs> so I broke it down. Now let's talk about it. Let's talk. Um, uh, yeah. Some, some really graphic scenes, especially for 1973. Yeah. Uh, which, you know, was probably a reason why this was so shocking mm-hmm. to the audience. Like Tony said, at one point she takes a crucifix and she just starts stabbing herself in the crotch mm-hmm. screaming let jesus fuck you yeah fuck was this like fuck you fuck jesus or something like that or and fuck god i think she says I, yeah she says fuck god and then she also like grabs i think it's the, the doctor and shoves his head in her crotch mm-hmm. he's like lick me lick me there's so much blood yeah and, and just little girl vagina yeah <laughs> i think that's the most inappropriate part fuck the fuck the possession it's it's a little girl. <laughs> it's like, she's like, lick me. He's like, I'm not. 
I'm not. Not doing <laughs> look, it. Look at my hands. Look at my hands. <laughs> um, as opposed to Danny in The Shining, Reagan, you know, granted, Linda Blair was, you know, she had a few years on uh, Danny Lloyd um, in their respective roles, but. Reagan, Linda Blair was phenomenal. Like for her to play that role so well, especially when she's actually possessed. Um, I mean, well, a lot of the possession scenes weren't her. Weren't the stunts a different person? Okay, maybe not a lot, but regardless, her ability <clears throat> to play that role so well. I mean, both, you know, just. Regular innocent Reagan, and then fucked up possessed Reagan, and all the the um, transition in between for her to play that so well. At, I think at that's her age. that's the craziest part is a lot of the in between scenes. If you look at the parts where she's like possessed but hasn't gone like full full demon yet, mm-hmm. those are some of the, the creepiest scenes when she's you know she's still kind of scratched up in her face, but her face isn't just completely fucked. Mm-hmm. And just, you know, she's not doing the voice yet, but she's still, there's still just something right under the surface that's so fucking creepy and unsettling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think some of the most interesting things about this movie are the things that William Freakin did to get the fucking thing made. Or, I mean, not, not to get it made, but during production. Like, his, uh, his methods were very... I mean, they would, ne- like, today, never fly. They would never work. Back in the 70s, even then, I think they're a little bit controversial. Like, um, in order to get, like, in the room when Reagan uh, drops the temperature to, you know, s- freezing um, to a point where they're, they're shivering and actually blowing out steam, Friedkin actually had the temperature in that room dropped right to sub-freezing temperatures. So the shivering... The, the the steamy breath that was all real another thing that was real it was the um the other priest I can't remember his name the character's name the one from Fordham <laughs> right just uh, just in case you didn't know <laughs> um Kinderman no that's the the sheriff that's the the detective yeah uh Dennings Dyer Dyer that's right father Dyer um at the end when Father uh, Karras is dying on the stairs. Um, you know, Father Dyer comes to give him his last rites, and he's weeping. It's his, you know, one of his best friends, and he's laying there dying before him. And he has to—it's his responsibility to give him his his last rites. And he's just—it looks like he's, his heart is breaking. In order to get that emotional response from this guy who's not an actor, William Friedkin called him over. An open hand slapped him across the face. <laughs> True story. And uh, that so that emotion that he was having on the screen was pure. Like he was actually weeping, but because he just got a fucking hand across the face, <laughs> and because he didn't want to get hit again. <laughs> like you fucking do it right he this time, behind you the bitch. behind the camera, just like <laughs> just kind of like his belt, like cracking his belt. <laughs> uh. My single favorite scene in this movie is not one of the like famous scenes mm-hmm. and it's not one of like crazy dramatic scenes, but it's when Reagan opens the drawer. You have to remind me. Uh, 
he, uh, Father Karras just says, was that you? And, and she just like giggles, this creepy little giggle. Oh. Yep. And then he gets up and he shuts the drawer and he's like, do it again. Mm-hmm. And then the, the demon voice comes out and is like, in time. Yeah. That is so fucking terrifying. Yeah, it's fucking dark. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, and it shows just, it shows Pazuzu, the demon, um, say basically saying, I don't work for you. Right. I do things in my time. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, this is regarded as one of the scariest movies ever made. Like you, you're, you talk to people from our parents' generation, and they'll they'll probably tell you this is one of the most horrifying movies they've ever seen. Excuse me, seen. Um, I think it is. Really? Yeah. Okay. I just I, I think it's a generational thing. I think us in our age bracket, we've seen so much more. I mean, we've seen things in real life that are more terrifying than this. And so I think uh, for, at least for me, to call this one of the most horrifying movies ever made, I think it's a bit of a reach. But it's a generational thing. See, I mean, it, like, it doesn't scare me. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, it creeps me out at parts. But at the same time, if I try to think about another movie that I think is scarier, I can't come up with anything. Sure. Eh, I mean, like, that's it, the thing. I don't get scared by movies. Yeah. Yeah, and that was the trouble. When we were trying to decide what movies to do for this episode, you know, we talked about doing, you know, classic horrors um, and also, like, our, you know, our number one scary movie. It's just like, how do you even do that? Yeah. Because, like, I have horror movies that I love. This is one of them. I have horror movies that I love above others. Like to find one that actually like just truly scares me, I don't know that one exists. Yeah, same here. So, yeah, um, but generally, generationally, this movie is incredible. Like especially for the day and age when it was made, this was this was outrageous back then to make these. Th- this basically spawned. The whole religious horror, uh, yeah, possession horror, yeah, and it was it was unheard of. Like the the Catholic Church tried to get this movie banned mm-hmm. numerous times in in numerous countries. Um, it's I mean to to attack religion the way that this did was just unbelievable, and so I think maybe that alone would give it its place in history. Yeah, and you know, I can I can definitely see, especially like, you know, my dad would tell me this is one of the one of the most terrifying movies he's ever seen. Um, he also grew up Catholic, so this I can see this hitting kind of hitting, hitting two like twofold, being a terrifying movie and also attacking his faith mm-hmm. or. Maybe not necessarily his his faith, but the, you know what he grew up with. Um. So yeah, that's there's something to be said about that. Now, whether or not it resonates with people our age, you know, that's neither here nor there. The fact is, this has a place in history because of the that effect it had on people back then. Yeah. 
And not only that, but if you look at it, like watch it now and, you know, maybe not to the same extent, but it holds up for sure. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a timeless movie. You know, obviously the, the clothes are very seventies and whatnot. Um, you know, and at one point she's just, I don't even smoke grass. <laughs> it's a very seventies kind of mindset, but at the same time, this, this could happen anytime. Mm-hmm. And not only that, but the effects for the time are fucking amazing. Yeah. The, the makeup and, you know, everyone knows the vomit scene. Well, I mean, the, that makeup was little Dick Smith, so. <laughs> He's the man. Big guy. Big guy. Big time. But yeah, the, the, the effects, you know, you, you would expect in the 70s, I don't know what the budget for this movie was. I can't imagine it was too terribly high. Uh, 12 million. I don't know what the inflation would be on that. Yeah, but still, it can't be that much. But I mean, I don't, you know, you don't have explosions or anything right. crazy like that. But still, just the effects are so good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and the narrative in this is really good. Um, there isn't a lot of a lot of lull, as opposed to like maybe like The Shining, when there's a lot of scenes where it's just like, why? Why? What are we yeah. doing here? Um, and again, like I said, that's kind of a Kubrick thing. This, there isn't a lot of that. I mean, you said that the, that intro scene in Iraq is, um, you know, you can maybe do without. But aside from that, there's not really a lot in this that doesn't serve some kind of purpose. Um, yeah. Yeah, like there's some scenes with uh, Karis and his mother that are kind of like, they almost seem like a side story, but at the same time, it's it's laying the groundwork for his lack of faith, which is a big part of the exorcism scene. Right. How he has to restore his faith in order to have this exorcism and perform this exorcism. And so he's got this whole inner turmoil going on. Mm-hmm. Your mother sucks cocks in hell. Oh, such a good line. <laughs> <laughs> What a harsh thing to say to somebody. That's I know, just right? Too. And then you got the uh, you know the TV version where your your mother sews socks that smell. <laughs> like oh, sick burn, Pazuzu. <laughs> just w- w- what? <laughs> Why would you even say that? It's not even offensive. I just don't. I don't even understand. <clears throat> I remember trying to explain to someone once about the whole possession thing and how, you know, like, like she stabs herself with a crucifix in the crotch and she's basically cutting up her own face and body the entire time. And I was trying to explain to somebody once, like why a demon would do that. I was basically like, you know, the, the demon doesn't feel this pain. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> they're, they're in this vessel, but nothing they do to it matters to them. Yeah. It's like renting a car with full insurance. <laughs> like you can fuck it up. Who cares? Fuck it. I'll just get another one. Yeah, not mine. <laughs> but um, yeah, this movie's amazing. And like you said, it, it moves really well. It's got great pacing. Um, also controversial beyond the things we already talked about because there's uh, underlying soundtrack of like people screaming and babies crying and uh, things that you're not allowed to do in this day and age. Mm-hmm. You're not allowed to have that subliminal soundtrack. And plus there's like the Christopher Walken skulls that flash up on the screen. <laughs> <laughs> Christopher Walken and misfits face paint pops up on the screen at random times. 
Um, yeah, the, uh, I think the visuals are what really sells this. Um, and you know, it's not an over the top special effects film. Um, it's uh, it's more of a quiet horror, similar to The Shining. Yeah, it's not. It's not like a big bombastic, you know, thing. It's not like your... end of days, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, but it's very, uh, very, it's very subtle, and I think this this the subtlety is what makes it so horrifying. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I I don't. Are you? You got anything else to say? Nothing comes to mind. Um. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what else to say. This this movie is one of my favorite horror movies of all time. Even though, you know, I there's a difference between thinking a movie is the best and thinking it's your favorite. Mm-hmm. This is to me probably one of, if not the best horror movie of all time. Based on that rationale, yeah, I, I can agree. Uh the re-release that came out in the mid to late nineties. Was it that early? I thought it was more like the early two thousands. I was still in high school. Oh, okay. And I graduated in two thousand one. So, okay. <clears throat> There's a couple scenes that they added that I guess they're they're from the original, but they got cut, mm-hmm. got left on the cutting room floor. And one of them is is the spider walk. Oh yeah, I actually meant to mention that. Yeah. That's probably my favorite scene. Yeah, like I saw that and I was like, how was that not in the original? Why would you cut that? That's fucking bonkers. <laughs> she just runs down the stairs. I mean, runs down the stairs, bent over backwards, spewing blood that's going up her face. What the fuck? <laughs> and then it just cuts out. You're like, what? Yeah. Like, it's like, all right, next scene. Yeah, it's like, there has to be more to that. <laughs> like, what did they do? How did they react to that? Because the only reaction you see is Chris being like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> As yeah. she's coming down. And it's like, what did you, what happens next? Yeah, you know, that that's one thing about this movie that uh, every time I watch it, I, it comes to mind. It's like the reactions don't seem appropriate. To like some of the things that she does, like that, where it's like doesn't seem like people are quite as uh, like out of their like like people don't just like go absolutely insane when they see that. <laughs> yeah, it's it's more confusion than anything. Yeah, or you know the part when she's like stabbing herself with the cross or you know, stabbing her crotch, I guess. Um, I feel like the reaction to that isn't quite as strong as it should have been. <laughs> yeah. Uh, until he shoves the until she shoves the guy's head in her crotch. Yeah, it's like now Reagan, don't do that. <laughs> hey, calm down, calm down. Dolphin, remember we said dolphin is the key word. When I say dolphin, you have to calm down. <laughs> oh, you're right. We did agree upon that. I'll stop pissing in this Nutella jar. Um. <laughs> uh yeah. Now you like part 3 more, right? Yes. That's bananas. 
Fuck you. <laughs> That's absolutely absurd. You're absolutely absurd. <laughs> like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> that movie's awesome. It's art. It is awesome, but it's not better than this. Ah. <laughs> ah. Um, no, I mean, it's, it's different strokes, I think. Like, I, I, I think it's just a matter of taste. They're both great movies. I love, I, I, I love and appreciate both of them. I just like the other one more. Now, part two, on the other hand, oh god, that's a steaming pile of shit. Is Duty Kaka? Yeah, never watch part two. No, stay away. Instead, watch Repossessed. <laughs> <laughs> sure, the Lost Exorcist tale with Linda <laughs> Linda Blair and isn't Ed Begley Jr. No, that's Leslie it. Nielsen. Leslie Neal. Is it Leslie Nielsen? Fairly certain. I don't remember. I haven't seen it in a while. I'm pretty sure it's Leslie Nielsen. I, I probably haven't seen it since the 90s. <laughs> yeah. That movie, Linda Blair, is basically playing Reagan, except late now. Like, I can't believe they got Linda Blair to be in that. Oh, I know. It's like, don't you want to you know, venture outside of this? <laughs> Not do a parody of your own movie? Right? <laughs> it's generally frowned upon. Yeah, usually. But yeah, basically, she plays this woman who, as a child, was possessed. She was exercised, and now she's just living this normal life as a housewife. But then she gets repossessed, <laughs> and, and hilarity ensues. Hilarity ensues. Yeah. <laughs> um, if I had a complaint about this, my biggest complaint is is the the backstory, the the stuff in Iraq. Which, like you said, does come back around, and she does the weird thing where she sits on the bed like this, and it like shows the statue and stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's it's like backstory that's never explained. It's like they say, "Oh yeah, there's a backstory." <laughs> what is it? Yeah. But then when they tell you in that terrible, terrible prequel, you're like, "Oh, I wish you didn't tell me that." <laughs> well, I think that is actually is explained more in the book. That would make sense. Um, I, I haven't read it, so I'm not positive, but. Yeah, I think I think that scene in particular, there's more depth added to it in the or there's more depth to it in the book. So I could see that. Mm. Do you see? But in this, like I said, it's like they just tell you there is a backstory. Don't worry. Don't about worry about it. it. <laughs> and I, I, to me, I feel like they could have just left that out completely, <laughs> and it would have been equally, if not more, uh, successful. But otherwise, uh, this movie is absolutely fantastic. Um, I know a lot of people when it when it was re released, they were like, "That movie was so dumb and funny," and I'm like, "Fuck you, <laughs> kill yourself, <laughs> go fuck your mother." Uh, I love this movie. I think it holds up even today. I'm I'm gonna give it a nine. Damn, you're feeling generous today, dude. I love these fucking movies. <laughs> There's a reason we picked these movies when we talked about the best horror movies ever. Yeah. Um. Why did I give Exorcist three? Eight. Eight? All right. Um, yeah, I'll give it an eight. All right. I'd say they're that close. Like I don't I don't feel right giving it a seven, but I couldn't give it a nine if I if I gave it if I gave part three a, a an eight. 
Fair hey enough. guys, this is Lisa Ovies. You probably know me best as arch nemesis to the Grace Hot Boys, uh, and also the director of Puppy Killer. I am incredibly proud of you guys for making it to a hundred. A little surprise, given you know how much better I am than you, and I haven't accomplished that yet. But uh, well done. Here's to a hundred more, and I hope to dominate most of them by being your annoying sidekick. Have an awesome day, losers. Grace plot. Podcast episode 100. It's your boy Wiz, Seattle hip hop in the building. I wish I knew about you guys earlier, but I caught the first 50 years of episodes. But I stay listening. I'm gonna stay listening for 100 more episodes. I appreciate y'all supporting me. I'm supporting y'all. You guys, lots of love. Hey, Skeletoni and Taylor of Terror. This is horror author Isaac Thorne. Congratulations on 100 episodes. I'm looking forward to the next 100. Keep up the great work. <laughs> so there we go. That's going to do it. Episode 100 in the bag. All right. Um, the Smirnoff <laughs> was kind of a disappointment. A little bit, yeah. I was feeling a little tipsy when we were drinking Zima, but not so much with this. Mm-mm. She got in two. <laughs> yeah. I just chugged them. Yeah. Just drink so many Smirnoffs. <laughs> So I want to thank everybody who has listened. Uh, you know, even if you've listened to this, even if this is your first episode listening, thank you so much. Even if you've been, you know, if you've been here since episode one, thank you so much. Thank all of our Patreon patrons so very much. Uh, thanks to all of our guests from Eric England to Chris Peckover. Uh, thank you, Crypticon, for letting us be part of your convention. Uh, who am I missing? Thank everyone who sent, sent us a screener for movies. Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, our Heavenly Father up above. <laughs> Without him, none of this would be possible. <clears throat> and all the haters. Yeah, thank you, haters, for giving us something to rise above. Hi, haters. Hi, haters. Hi, haters. Hi. I hate you so much. <laughs> <clears throat> um, yeah. Uh, ditto. <laughs> No, I, for, I we we can't even begin to thank you all enough for um, helping be a part of this show. I mean, even if you're just a listener and you've never interacted with, interacted with us once, um, you're still part of the show because you're 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 consuming what we're putting out there, and that's that's why we do it. Uh, well, part of it, <laughs> right? Most of it's for us, but part of it is for you. Um, but I mean, we've been doing this for five years. It's it's we've been through a lot. Um, you know, um, marriages, moving, deaths, uh, we've been through a lot of stuff as a show. Um, I mean, even down to simple, simple things like scheduling, <laughs> yeah. uh, the, the show does not come easy. Um, but we, we, we enjoy doing it for you guys every other week. Um, and we hope it, hope it to continue doing it for, uh, the foreseeable future. Um, want to give a really special thanks to everybody that, that called in and, um, you know, congratulated us. Uh, those are, uh, those are very special and we, we really appreciate it. Um, and, uh, you know, everybody, everybody's saying, you know, here's to the next hundred. It's like, well, it took us five years to get to hundred. <laughs> yeah, let's let's slow down. <laughs> yeah, let's 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 shoot for maybe another twenty-five. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's get through two thousand eighteen yeah. and see where we're at. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
But no, like I said, until there's a reason not to do it, I think we'll probably keep doing it. So yeah, it's been a blast. Yeah. So um, yeah, yeah. Make sure you check out our website at graveplotpodcast.com. Vote in the 2017 Grave Plot Awards. Let us know what your favorite uh, movies, actors, actresses, TV shows from the past year were. Uh, follow us on Facebook and Instagram as Grave Plot Podcast or on Twitter as Grave underscore Plot. Check us out wherever you listen to your your podcasts. If you're on iTunes, please give us a rating and a review so more people can find us. And uh, check us out at patreon.com slash graveplotpodcast. If you can contribute monetarily, it would mean the world to us. Uh, but then again, just you listening means everything. So thank you, thank you, thank you very much. I can't say it enough. Yeah. So we'll be back in a couple of weeks. We're, what are we... What are we reviewing? Uh, we're going to be watching Desolation and The House of Salem. Right. Getting back to our roots, watching some uh, some indie horrors. Yeah. At least one. Is Desolation or indie? I think, I think so. Okay. <laughs> we'll find out. <laughs> <laughs> On the next exciting edition of The Great Plot Podcast. Um, no. So, uh, yeah. Catch us again next time, guys. Back to our normal... Regularly scheduled program. Yeah. Well, this... not really, because it'll be the Great Plot Awards. So. <laughs> oh, that's true. But all the fanfare is gone. All the all the build up to 100, it's passed. We shot our load. And now it's over. <laughs> we peaked. <laughs> Why are we doing this anymore? <laughs> I haven't even begun to peak. I'm going to peak all over the place. I'm going to peak on your face. <laughs> okay, guys. Until next time, I am Skeletoni. I am Taylor of Terror. And this has been the Grave Plot Podcast, where we're all a little dead inside. You're